Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is a production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is proud to be a WGA signatory company, and they fully stand by the WGA and its members in their fight for extremely reasonable standards. Accordingly, they are not accepting scripts or treatment submissions at this time, but both William and Zena Rush are available via email free of charge to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers. This information will be made available in the show notes. Ahead of the strike, William Rush has individually produced numerous projects, including Coffee with Baba, Day by Day, Day Slay, Before, Pack is Here, Abiquue, The Winemaker, and Where Do You Draw the Line? Two feature films, Group and Immersion, are slated for release this fall. Absolutely no picket lines will be crossed and no collective bargaining agreements will be violated in the making of either of these films. And very generously, Original Cinematic is providing all Podmortem patrons with a special link to view these films. If arrangements can be made, they will even schedule a virtual or in-person screening for our patrons. We cannot thank Original Cinematic enough for their contribution to our show and the horror community as a whole. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the Hudson home in Hollywood, discussing the 1962 psychological horror thriller, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? This film was directed by Robert Aldrich from a screenplay by Lucas Heller based upon the novel of the same name by Henry Farrell. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was an immediate success upon its release, filled with memorable moments, tragic familial drama, and captivating performances from its stars Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. The on-screen chemistry between Davis and Crawford was rivaled only by the alleged yet well-documented off-screen feud between the two actresses. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane would go on to receive five Oscar nominations, spawn a subgenre of films, and is widely considered a classic. This film was recommended to us by friends of the show, Jarell DeMonte, Noreen S., and Liz Heath. We want to thank them all for their continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So, whatever happened to Baby Jane? What were your first impressions on the film? I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy it this time watching it again. It's a very bleak movie. Uh, Very little joy, if any, in this movie. And I think that's just kind of like, like I said, what seven, it's a good movie, but man, there's, there's like uh, no hope here. Well, it's pretty cynical. Yeah, definitely. I'd say <laughs> for sure. Um, I wonder if it makes any difference too, because T and I grew up watching it, which I'm sure we'll talk about or whatever, right. but I made you watch this this year for the first time. Correct. Yeah. I don't 
and I apologize and I, and I don't mean it in a mean way, but I don't know who any of these people are. I've never heard of their names. I don't know anything they're affiliated with, what they've done um, until your sister made me watch this. And uh, it is a good movie, but holy shit. <laughs> like they're just mean to each other or well, well, well I mean, <laughs> you know, not I won't go into more, but you know what I mean? You, yeah, we'll get there. It, you know, um, but yeah, I just was, I was just watching this and I was like, God damn, when is anything good going to happen? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a little, uh, it was, <laughs> it was a little depressing. It's a hard it was a, yeah, it was a little, hmm. um, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pivot. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to segue into this. Um, this was one that we would watch with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom watched a lot of Betty Davis movies. Uh, we were a Betty Davis house. Um, okay. And we would watch it and my mom would be like, well, <laughs> about, you know, that lady and that lady. Right. blah Because blah, blah. there was this, you know, huge legendary feud between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. And so that was like part of the mystique of the film. And then plus the, I I always thought the film was so cool, especially something that you find out at the end. And I was like, Oh my fucking God. You know, um, (laughs) I didn't say that. You were a child. I was a child. Um, But no, this, this movie kind of has a special place in my heart and Mm -hmm. it always will. And then getting older and kind of looking into the beef between them myself, it only makes it more interesting. And then studying for this, it makes it even more interesting because I'm like, how much was really organic between the two of them? And how much was people being like, Psst, hey. yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it made for a good performance and it makes for good stories and mm-hmm. it makes for more people want it. You know, it's it's gross. I'm sure we'll get into that. But I think the performances here are great. Mm-hmm. These are two fucking, you know, Hollywood giants. And you can kind of see the way that they approached roles in general and the way that they play their respective parts. It's just it the the legends themselves are almost at the level of what the film is for me like it's it's okay it, it's the whole thing kind of wrapped up in a bow it's it's the movie but it's more than the movie you know and then um when feud came out <laughs> i know that you know we kind of took all the rumors that may or may not be true and made them a thousand percent true <laughs> and kind of turned the volume up a little bit but yeah. god damn was that show great and Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lang, it, that show was is phenomenal. It's on Hulu right now. Yes, if anybody it is. wants to watch it. I rewatched it um, for this for some reason. I did you? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say it's 100% accurate. Uh, we were talking before we started recording that Olivia de Havilland actually sued FX because yeah. she said it was so inaccurate. Right. Um, she was played by. Um, Catherine Zeta Jones mm-hmm. in it. Anyway, it's just it's just a really You're just going into that now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do a side episode <laughs> about feud. Mm-hmm. No, but um I loved that show and it it really just uh it was especially cool because it was this like legendary feud, you know, true or not, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I believe that a lot of it is true. Um and probably 
exaggerated because it is a great story. Mm. I don't think that all because a lot it's of people are much. like, yeah, they were fine. Like there was I'm like, bitch, like I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> I don't I don't believe that for a second. Do I think <laughs> and we'll get into it in the like especially in filming this <laughs> The things that were said that they did to each other. Oh. <laughs> it's wild. I don't know. <laughs> it's wild. If I'm gonna co-sign that all that is true, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, it, the whole thing it, it's it's really a treat. Um, and I'm very excited that we get to cover this because it is one of those that it feels like it's been in the making. This episode of Podmortem has been in the making since I was like five. <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> No, um, as you said, I do remember watching this with mom growing up and I always appreciated while we were watching it, mom's commentary, filling in mm-hmm. the blanks of like everything behind the scenes, yeah. everything that she had read and understood about it. That also um, became even more rewarding because me and mom watched Feud together. Oh, man, oh, okay. that's great. And so it was like a full circle thing. Um, but I know I love this movie probably to the same level that you do, Nay. I think that what upsets me about this film is that the film is great on its own Uh and it kind of gets lost in all of the drama that allegedly happened surrounding the film. Right. Right. And so people forget to talk about the film a lot and they're like, do you know she like kicked her in the head or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) Can we we talk about, (laughs) can we talk about how good this looks? How how great these performances are instead. Um, And I, you know, I will say this film is very cynical Mm-hmm. There is a almost indictment, excuse me, an indictment um, regarding show business and the commodity of the stars that are made through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also an incredible layer of camp that I think there are some moments in this film that are flat out laugh out loud (laughs) we were laughing before we started because you were talking about a couple scenes (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's like it's a lot of things i'm glad y'all got that i didn't i like none of this was funny i would the whole time i was like oh my god i will point them out to you (laughs) yeah (laughs) but the thing is the thing is is that uh, underneath the layer of this camp is a real true like tragedy yeah, yeah, that's all I seen. Like I didn't see it's anything. It's incredibly incredibly sad. It's honestly one of the saddest films. If you look at like through it all, yeah. it's one of the saddest films we've covered. It, it really is. In a lot of ways. Yeah, it, and I think and I'll and I'll be honest and I've said it before, I think it hurt it hurt that's what hurt the movie for me. And I I said it with 7, but it I watched it again and I was like, "Man, I was like this is I'm sitting here. I feel bad. I was like, what the oh, fuck? Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, I don't. And, and it was. And I talked to your sister about it a little bit, too. And I was kind of confused about some of the things that happened throughout the movie. But and I've said it before, too. I don't like to have to do some research to kind of whatever. <laughs> and it did confuse me. I won't even lie. It did confuse me to the point where I was like, what? Um, your sister clarified some things for me. And I was like, I and it still did nothing for me. So I was like, man, yeah, you know, I was like, <laughs> it still did nothing. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. I tried. I was like, like, thank yeah. you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just being honest. You know what right. I mean? It, it, I, I, I think it was just, but I can't take away the fact that they did such a good job in their performances. Mm-hmm. That's why I felt that, that way. That it bummed you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God damn, I really believe this shit's going on. I, I was like, I feel terrible. What yeah. the fuck? 
I kind of want to echo what you had said earlier about their performances because it's the anchor of the entire film. Yeah. And their performances say so much about where they came from as actresses Mm -hmm. and their different films throughout their careers through the studio systems they went through. Mm -hmm. Um, And their chemistry, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. For two people who allegedly hated each other, they work really well together. Yeah. Um, I know that we are and we probably should continue to say allegedly but i will say in my opinion Mm -hmm. they did not fucking like each other (laughs) they did not like each other here's here's the deal i read i read a lot of articles as i know we all did Mm -hmm. and it was a a real mixed bag of you know this exactly happened all these elements of this feud right and um the feud was completely overblown and almost created by the studio for publicity yeah so I personally, I err on the side of, you know, half and half. I think yeah. I, that's probably fair because I feel like as it was going on and leading up to it, it probably was overblown. Mm-hmm. Something small could happen and they made it bigger. But as more time passes and we get further away from it, I think that it's being downplayed more and more what really the issues were. So, yeah, probably somewhere in the middle between nothing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they had single... tea on set together. Yeah. But like, <laughs> Stop. Betty Davis was so candid. Yes. Um, and she, you know, did the diplomatic thing a lot of time, a lot of times in interviews and, you know, said a, a couple polite things and would move on. But the older that woman got, oh. the more she was like, oh, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, she <laughs> truly and I say the older she got, but even when she was younger, she didn't give a fuck. No. I mean, she was very boldly outspoken, especially okay for the time that she was in. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say, because I do want to pick up on that point, I want to kind of go through their histories through Hollywood and then eventually meeting up to do this film. Okay. But I did want to say that it is very funny to me because one of the only sources of evidence that I found that there was no feud is one picture of them smiling together. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't think that invalidates. Right. <laughs> Not at all. Everything. Um, it's like, look, yeah. they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I I watched this um, documentary on Betty and Joan. Okay. And I also read an article in Harper's Bazaar that kind of took you through the timeline of their knowing each other. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford is that for as much as they allegedly didn't get along, they really did have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. And they were both very, very ambitious actresses and they were very tenacious people. Yeah. And so Joan Crawford comes to Hollywood in 1925 and she comes to Hollywood as a dancer. And so she gets started through that and then eventually it becomes acting roles. And she, I think, makes her big break in 1928. Okay. Betty Davis comes to Hollywood in 1929. She comes from the theater background in New York. And so you see the different ideas of what is valued through each of these uh, fields. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you get a lot of critics that say, you know, well, Joan Crawford was a star. Betty Davis was an actress. I okay, I can okay. I can see that. I think it is a little oversimplifying. Well, for me it is because you have all these performances from both of them that are incredible. Yeah. yeah. And then to say cuz there was one film historian that said that a lot of producers didn't know what to do with Betty Davis because they said that she wasn't a conventional beauty, quote unquote. I read that a lot. Which is just so strange to me. I read that a lot. So much so that in 1931, Betty Davis almost left Hollywood and went back to New York to live with her mother. That's crazy. Yeah. And so you have these two actresses. One is kind of seen for their looks. One is seen for their talent. 
but really they both have both. Yeah. And so it's very difficult. And so whenever they start not necessarily running into each other, but you see that there are these opposite um, perceptions of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that only plays into the difficulties that they would have together later on, which again, I don't know is exactly fair and may even have been kind of instigated by the system that they were in. It, yeah. it definitely was. I think that it all kind of boils down to the way that they reacted to the machine, as it were. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I feel like Betty Davis, they were both, like you said, incredibly headstrong, very savvy, very intelligent women. Um, Betty Davis would like fight with, and I'm sure you're going to talk about Warner Brothers right. and everything. She would fight with the executives. She, w- I mean, she was very loud. She was. They called her... They made they joked about her being a Warner brother because she was so like <laughs> she wouldn't shut up. She flagrantly violated her contracts. She sued them. She, I mean, she acted in her own defense loudly and boldly. But she was so good that she sued them and then she kept working for exactly. them. Exactly. And then <laughs> that's when she started getting offered yeah. the bigger role. And she was yeah. literally their most profitable star for yeah. a big chunk of her career. Jesus. Joan Crawford knew how to play the game. Yeah. She knew what the producers wanted, what the directors wanted, what the audiences wanted. Mm-hmm. She hid her freckles, her accent. She became what was commodified at the time they just they both were playing the game they just did it very differently and it both resulted in them being you know gigantic successes so Mm -hmm. i mean like who's right and who's wrong or who do you respect more that's beside the point but they both you know just did it their own way that that's kind of shitty too though to to, i mean i i get i guess i can get what they're trying to say but for you to just be like again oh you're pretty be quiet don't say nothing yeah oh you can act but Maybe do some line work for us. You know what I mean? We don't we get that's fucked up. What yeah, do you mean? Is. I'm pretty. Just sit here. I mean, thank you, but you know what I mean. I can act too, like, but at the same yeah, time, it's, it's like that's that's crazy because obviously they they've both had very good careers mm-hmm. and they've both very well known from uh, what I've read and you guys have told me and what we're gonna get into. I'm sure we'll talk about it some more. Um, but yeah, that's nuts to kind of try to put them in a box like that and just be like, yeah. no, 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 this is what we're looking for. And if that, like you said about Joan Crawford, if she did all of that, how can you say she's not an actress? If she's doing exactly <laughs> what needs to be done to convince you yeah. and hiding my freckles, changing my accent or whatever, I'm acting, I'm changing who I am to fit what everybody loves. But you're just saying I'm only pretty. Well, no, I, that's crazy. <laughs> in and, 1930s Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's bullshit. Yeah, it really is. It is. Um, but they again, another similarity they had. They both went through the studio system. Joan Crawford with MGM and then Betty Davis with Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually kind of. And this this is where Harper's Bazaar started the feud, which was in 1933. Oh, God. They claim that Betty Davis had her first starring role in 1933 and they were going to do a big print ad about it. But Joan Crawford announced her divorce on the same day. And so that took precedent, which I don't think Betty Davis would give a shit about. I don't. Yeah. The way that I read it was that Joan Crawford knew and was like, okay, now. (laughs) (laughs) The way, dude. Like, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Not only that, it's not like now. How the fuck would you wait? to do that 
Yeah. You yeah. don't have a cell phone or whatever. You, I mean, you still got to... This is what? You're saying in 33? Yeah. Like, yeah. What kind of phone was even then? Was it the rotary? Or <laughs> I think was it was still the one I think you it had was, a, It was still two pieces, I <laughs> think. So, yeah, you still had to push it. What kind of phone was that? What the fuck are we doing here? I think it was one how, of those clamshell phones. Oh, oh don't do that. Don't do it, No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Episode Stop 7 the, of yeah. Podmortem. Um, seven, oh my God. Yeah. Um, but in 1935, they also discussed this idea of Betty Davis falling in love with one of her co-stars who would go on to marry Joan Crawford. Ah, And okay. so Betty Davis talked about this in an interview in 1987, which they also think could have sparked this feud. Okay. I did read that as well. But again, when you read different, like you, you read all of these stories and like you have the facts, right? It was dangerous. They did star together in Dangerous. Yeah. Betty Davis and uh, Francho Tone. Um, and that came out, what, 34? I'm trying to consult my notes. I think it was 35. 35. And then Joan Crawford married him in 35. Yeah. And they divorced in 39. These are all facts. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when you read it in this article, it's saying, oh, Betty Davis was hopelessly in love with him. Um, but he had already been talking to Joan Crawford and they ended up getting married. Then you read it over here and Betty Davis was hopelessly in love with him and Joan Crawford knew about it and she seduced him and married him. Well, like, you, I mean, it's it's so what, wild. What <laughs> side is the writer on? Exactly. Yeah. That's no, it, are you team Betty or yeah. team Joan? Yeah. Like, it's just so funny, but it's like, okay, but what do we know to be true? <laughs> <We> yeah. <know laughs> they, they did do the film together. Yes. They did end up getting married, yes. you know? Where I personally think if this feud began, I think it got started in 1945. Okay. Because in 1943, Joan Crawford leaves MGM and comes into Warner Brothers with the contract. Mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers is Betty Davis's territory. Mm-hmm. Always has been. Crawford tried to make a truce and send her a lot of flowers and everything. The rumor has it that Betty Davis sent them all back. Yeah. Which, again, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1945, Betty Davis, because she was the star at Warner Brothers, so she had first pick of everything. They offer her the lead of Mildred Pierce. She passes on it. And she has always wanted to win this third Oscar because I believe she won in 1936 and 1939. Mm -hmm. So in 1945, Joan Crawford takes this role and wins the Oscar for it. Okay. So it was basically what Betty Davis passed on got her her Oscar. Right. And that would have been her third. Yeah. If I think that that is the most logical beginning of the feud if it existed. If all it right, is. all right. <laughs> we gotta yeah, keep saying yeah. that. Well, I'm not trying um, to get sued by <laughs> Olivia de Havilland. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't come for us. We are very poor. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, speaking to what you were saying about her, um, Joan Crawford coming to Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. I read that it was immediately when that contract was signed, that's when the press was like, oh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, they hate each other. Like, I mean, it Mm. was like immediate. And so I had read an interview where somebody had asked Betty Davis, like, what is up with you and Joan Crawford? Like, everybody's talking about this and saying that you guys hate each other or whatever. Betty Davis had said that the only thing that she could think of was the um, cinematographer Ernie Haller. Yes. Who did whatever happened to baby Jane. Mm -hmm. She said he was the best on the Warner Brothers lot. He was the one that everybody wanted to work with. And she, Betty Davis, would not work with anybody else. So she heard that Joan Crawford wanted him for something that she was doing, but he was busy with Betty Davis. So she was annoyed. And she's like, but... And he ended up doing Mildred Pierce. Yeah, he did anyway. anyway. So 
she was like, oh, it was, you know, just a scheduling thing, but everything's fine. Like she's quoted as to saying there's more than enough room for both of us at Warner Brothers. Like, yeah, that it's quoted as her saying that. So no. uh, <laughs> again, and so it may not have even existed at this time. But yeah. I mean, it's it's a thing that the industry does. It is a tale as old as time. It mm-hmm. is Britney and Christina. They can't both be great. Which one's better? Like we've talked about this before. Right. Well, so, uh, something obviously happened. I watched an interview with Betty Davis and Brian Gumble from 89. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he asked and he said, well, you know, how was Joan Crawford? And she was like, no, she was on time. She uh, she knew all her lines. And he goes, OK, and after the movie uh, and, and Betty Davis goes, she's a different woman than I am. What does that mean? Which what? is it's a very polite way to say it, we didn't get along. Yeah. We didn't like each other. And and it's funny we were talking before we started uh recording that that seemed like a very um standard response like the polite diplomatic responses was she was on time and she <laughs> knew all of her lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was professional. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it also Joan Crawford did something incredibly shady after yes. Baby Jane that yeah. was I mean pretty and, fucked up and that happened yes. and that happened oh yeah that's what they were yeah. discussing in so, that interview you know and you know all these all those years removed obviously that had happened already so you know i would still be salty about well, it yeah. even you know yeah with all that time passed well let me get to the 1950s real quick because <laughs> <Yeah, that's good>. <laughs> <laughs> another thing that they had in common is by the 1950s both of them were out of the studio system and were freelance actresses not on contract oh okay and it was a little aggravated in the feud because betty davis starred in a film called the star in 1952 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in this film it's alleged that the fading actress who was failing in her career was based on joan crawford Oh wow! When she was an alcoholic and she was, it like, didn't help. Washed up <laughs> and yeah, it didn't help. But th- it's reported, so it's never proven. Right? Okay. Well, okay. I read that it was written by people who used to be friends with Joan Crawford. Oh, that's just <laughs> that's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> just yeah. Saying. Okay. Well, then maybe it might yeah. be. <laughs> but the good that's news. That's not cool. <laughs> Again, it's all, yeah, it's all here saying cool. allegedly, <laughs> Mrs. Davlin. I didn't. Yes. Know. <laughs> no. 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 The good news, though, is that in 1956, Joan Crawford works with a director named Robert Aldrich on a film called Autumn Leaves. Okay. From there, they kind of maintain contact, and they're constantly looking for another film to do together. Mm -hmm. So the book, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, kind of falls into... Some sources say Robert Aldrich's lap. Mm -hmm. Some say it was Joan Crawford. But however it happened, a script was written... Joan Crawford and Robert Aldrich are very much on board, mm-hmm. but they know that they need a co-star. And so what they do is they know the only person that could fit this role and the only person is Betty Davis. Right. So Joan Crawford herself flies to New York where Betty Davis is putting on a play mm-hmm. and meets her backstage and personally convinces her to play Baby Jane. And okay. so this idea of a feud could it be that Joan Crawford was and she was a very savvy person? That she knows that working with Betty Davis is exactly what they both need right now. Yeah. Or could it be that the feud didn't exist at all and she just knew that Betty Davis was perfect for this? I think yeah. I think it definitely existed. Oh, and did. I think that Joan Crawford was very smart and she knew, look, again, they were they were doing their own things. Like you said, they were kind of independent and on their own. Uh, during the 50s and everything and i i think that a lot of people say like they were not doing anything but like you said 
Betty Davis was on Broadway at this time. Well, she was doing Night of the Iguana. Um, Betty Davis, she All About Eve was in the 50s. Yes. So it's not like so, they were doing nothing. You know, yeah. but w- I feel like it's a better story to be like, they were they were nothing. Yeah. And then this <laughs> brought them back. You know what I mean? But that's that's just not I mean, true. It but, brought them back in a different way. Right. But it's not as though they were under a rock. Yeah, that that that. I didn't even think about that. You are steady talking about movies that they've been putting out. What do you mean they haven't done anything? Yeah. It's 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 a better story. Like, it is. It's just, you know. And I think that's what we learned doing all this research is that a lot of times what gets printed is the better story. Yeah. Versus because there are so many different sources and so many conflicting stories. So much. Mm-hmm. It's wild. But I, I could absolutely see Joan Crawford saying, look. They love to talk about us. Mm-hmm. They love, you know, whatever beef we have. They love sensationalizing it. Whatever we do together. And the the book, the story is great. But even if it wasn't, y'all are going to talk about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis working together. You're just right. going to. I think that it, they were capitalizing or, you know, Joan, since I guess she approached Betty, mm-hmm. was capitalizing off of... You know, if y'all are going to make money off of me not liking this bitch, I'm going to get a piece of it. That's just smart. I mean, it's just smart. Yeah. And I, they took it all over town and nobody wanted it. Yeah. It wasn't until Jack Warner, who passed on it initially, whenever they found the financing for it, was like, all right, we'll distribute it at Warner Brothers. Because he did still kind of have a little beef with Betty Davis. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have been to him. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's the, the like you had said at the beginning, the story of the film is almost as important as the film itself. Yeah. Right. And so this was this was an incredibly long introduction, but it's very, I know. I'm so sorry. It's very important to talk about the context it's just fascinating and we hope you're still with us <laughs> <laughs> now before we drive a car into this film we would like to issue a warning for spoilers pod mortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two if you don't wish to be spoiled please go watch the film then come back and enjoy the show if you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers let's write a letter to daddy So the film begins with a title card reading, 1917. We hear a little girl crying as a man with a calm voice asks her if she would like to see it again and that it shouldn't frighten her. From blackness, a jack-in-the-box bursts up on a spring and we see the little girl clinging to the hip of her mother, tears streaming down her face as her mother pats her back comfortingly. In a tight shot of the -the jack-in-the-box, we see that it is crying too. (laughs) Okay. what the fuck? Well, his feelings are hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the FX are crazy in this. <laughs> yeah, starting off with this. Yeah. He's like, I just wanted to entertain you. How you can be like, you shouldn't be afraid. That puppet is crying. Yeah, I'm is. horrified. That's not normal. No. But we cut to a horse-drawn carriage bustling down the street, its wagon filled with empty barrels. But in the background, we see a theater, and the camera presses in on the marquee, and written in lights is the name baby jane hudson inside the camera sweeps past a woman attempting to buy tickets to the sold out show over to a sign advertising baby jane dolls for only three dollars and 25 cents then finally resting on a poster for the show which along with photos reads the one and only baby jane hudson the diminutive dancing douce from duluth so I do want to point out the doll price was three twenty five mm-hmm. in 1917. That's the purchasing power of $85. Holy fucking shit. But that doll's pretty big. It's porcelain. Yeah. It's 
a lot. Yeah. yeah. And they made a lot of them. No, yeah. Um, th- The whole thing is very weird to me. Like, I know that there are a lot of very talented children and those, those talents should be nurtured mm-hmm. and encouraged. But something about this entire, like, nation, I guess, turning up to see a little girl dance and sing, it is very strange to me and I don't like it. <laughs> and you're buying like life-size dolls of her uh-huh. it's fucking weird i don't know i don't it's, it's weird i don't like it i, I it was okay so this for 80 dollars yeah dude. yeah <laughs> that's my whole fucking that paycheck yeah. Yeah, yeah. um i was thinking because it's kind of like a vaudeville show where they have a bunch of different acts mm-hmm. yeah but her name is the only it's, one it's on yeah. the marquee yeah yeah so, so i don't mm, i don't i don't like it i also want to say Ducey is a reference to the italian actress eleonora Ducey. But the word on its own also means to sin or to do wrong. Mm. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if that's foreshadowing in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they're just saying that she's like this actress. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's popular. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But to a round of applause, baby Jane Hudson, a vaudevillian child star played by Julie Allred, tap dances on stage in a spotlight while a full orchestra beneath her plays Swanee River. And she's really cutting a rug. She's staring yeah. at <laughs> She's doing that like waving thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, how physically, like, how do you do that though? <laughs> but Ray Hudson, Jane's father, played by Dave Willick, watches from the wings, beaming a smile and offering, that a girl, Jane, show him how. Not as pleased are Cora Hudson, Jane's mother, played by Ann Barton, and Blanche Hudson, Jane's older sister, played by Gina Gillespie. The faces that Blanche is giving throughout this performance, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, same. She's side-eyeing. She, her, she's just like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Who cut her Very hair? Displeased. It was a it was style <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else's hair looked like that. No, and Jane's is all yeah. ringlet curls, and they're like Blanche. But the whole energy for Blanche is really get that cat out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares. There comes she a, used to wait in the wings and yeah. watch. Like it's fucked up. There comes a point later that is just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It really is. laughs> but Jane's tap dancing continues with spins and those arm wavings that I was talking about <laughs> as the band kicks into full swing into the finale. Ray joins his daughter on stage as the audience applauds her performance, holding a banjo. He calls out to the cheering crowd, allowing them one more request as theater attendants open the doors to the lobby. The entire audience shouts out the requests, but a little boy played by Steve Condit stands up shouting, I've written a letter to daddy. And for some reason, his vote carries more weight. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't have heard that shit. No, he's a little boy. Well, yeah. but also, why? He's like, give me the saddest fucking song you got. <laughs> this, no joke, this might be the saddest song written by human hands. Why would you end it with this? I don't know. Send them home crying? Yeah. <laughs> That's not typically how you do it. <laughs> it's a it's a weird it's a weird song it's, it's sad as fuck yeah it's very upsetting and the performance and the choreography only make it sadder yeah that little boy's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but ray chooses this song and the crowd approves in the wings cora seemingly fights tears as ray takes a seat behind the piano in a singing voice provided by debbie burton and accompanied by the orchestra Baby Jane stands in the spotlight as the other lights go down and sings the song, I've Written a Letter to Daddy. Ray joins his daughter, kissing her on the forehead, and the two share an adorable little choreographed dance before he returns to the piano for the conclusion of the song. In a big, dramatic finale, 
Baby Jane takes a bow and a curtsy as Ray thanks the audience. Cora looks on stone-faced while Blanche looks dismayed. A boy, a different boy, (laughs) uncredited, ascends the stage with a Baby Jane doll, and Ray pretends that he's never seen one of these before. Yeah. (laughs) He goes, well, what's this? And the boy hands the doll to Baby Jane, and Ray remarks how beautiful the doll is, and he really goes into salesman mode. There is a shot that's a little haunting as Jane puts her cheek to the dolls, a smile slowly stretching across her face as Blanche looks on very jealously. To me, this shot kind of just signifies the artifice of it all mm-hmm. and kind of just show business making a commodity out of everyone. Mm-hmm. But because she doesn't even look like she wants to do this. Yeah. That smile looked pained. It it did. I feel like and we'll see we'll see a little more we're about to peel back the veneer on on jane (laughs) it's there's a lot of uh duality here that's like real life commentary on kind of show business and stuff Mm -hmm. that i wonder if that if it was difficult for betty davis and joan crawford to kind of look at it in the face because it is things that they've experienced and had to hear in their own careers um especially like when we see them when they're older you know it's true you know can, harsh can we talk about the lyrics to the song real quick for a second before we move on sure because um why i gotta be dead he's right there yeah i mean i don't understand. why is the song about you <laughs> <laughs> well um, i'm just saying yeah. i'm daddy i am a dad well, I, I, so I'm just <laughs> wondering, or why he's not dead though he's right there playing piano no and the, the song the song <laughs> was written piano. written for the film yeah um so this is an original and so it was intentional yeah and uh, honestly it plays a lot into some of like the quieter commentary with jane later on in the film yeah yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, the lyrics are basically she's writing a letter to her father who's passed away and sending the letter to heaven, putting kisses on it instead of stamps. Yeah. It's incredibly tragic. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. That's why I was like, why the fuck did this child request this? I don't know, man. And then you're <laughs> selling the toys right after. The yeah. Dolls. It's like, dry your eyes and yeah. fucking take out your wallets. Well, I need my 80 bucks. Well, time out because don't I know that we all have a playlist that we... <laughs> pop on when we're feeling a certain way and then (laughs) go on with the rest of our day you know but they were at a show yeah they were all having a really great time she was just doing the wave thing you're all part of this yeah (laughs) (laughs) but ray rushes jane and this unnamed and uncredited boy off stage and as the curtains close behind him he tells everyone in the audience that there's a baby jane doll waiting for each and every one of them in the lobby He says that the kids can tell their moms that every one of these genuine, beautiful, great big dolls is an exact replica of their very own baby Jane Hudson. He thanks the crowd as they file into the lobby, doing exactly as they were told. So one thing I did want to say is he made it almost like uh, a doll was part of their ticket. Yeah, I was was about to say. They're like 325. There's There's one waiting for everyone to to buy. buy. (laughs) Let's be very clear. Yeah, Yeah. no, I thought he was saying that too. That was part of the show. Yeah, they're like, oh no. And you get a doll. And you get a doll. (laughs) For for 325. Yeah. (laughs) But backstage, however, Ray chases Jane past Cora and Blanche. A crowd is gathered by the back exit near a large poster for baby Jane Hudson. The Hudson family walks out of the exit and Ray is all smiles in front of the crowd, but Jane is pissed. She throws a fit, telling her father that she doesn't want to go back to the hotel and she doesn't have to take a nap and he can't make her. 
Ray tries to calm the situation as murmurs break out into the crowd, telling his daughter that she knows she has to take a nap, but Jane isn't having it, loudly disagreeing as her sister and her mother exchange somber and knowing glances. Jane does not give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like this whole crowd is here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it just gets worse. And they're like heavens to pass. Yeah. <laughs> well, I it seemed like they were already like she was already back talking to them before they went out the back door. Why would you go out there like yeah, that? Yeah, they it, it was a, like in progress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you wait? You we'll know <laughs> people are going to be right there. We'll continue this outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in front of all your fans. <laughs> But Ray tries to use the crowd as a reason for Jane to behave herself. But Jane just shouts, I don't care, and says that she wants an ice cream. Her father attempts to calm her down, but she just shouts louder that she wants it and then gets a little (laughs) too real, telling her father, (laughs) I make the money so I can have what I want. So this is one of the many, many reasons that you should not have your child be your source of income. (laughs) Like... (laughs) This is just, you don't want your fucking 10 year old to be like, bitch, I pay the bills. <laughs> like, no, I can't handle that. Ray's like, she's got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate. Or- <laughs> Where you want it from? But Ray, <laughs> I just love the idea of him just switching tones completely. Yeah. Fuck, she's right. Yeah, no, you don't like the seeds <laughs> in the strawberry. So vanilla, vanilla's fine. But Ray tries to grab a hold of her, but she jerks away, shouting louder. The crowd just mumbles and grumbles. One woman saying, now if a child of mine ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Ray very nervously makes excuses for his daughter's behavior, allowing her the ice cream, but saying that it's the last time this week. (laughs) How many times have y'all done this this week? I I think it's all part of the act. (laughs) (laughs) Jane suddenly becomes much nicer, putting on her stage voice, saying that Blanche should get an ice cream too. But Blanche very timidly says that she doesn't want anything. Ray snaps at Blanche. He goes, what are you trying to do? And Blanche runs away backstage. Well, what the fuck? Yeah, I didn't understand that. I was surprised that Jane was even thinking of Blanche. Yeah. That did surprise me. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) she's being good like she yeah. she was just like no i'm good like, <laughs> it's like you're mad at jane but yes. you can't you can't be mad at jane because jane pays your bills right so it's let's kinda... take it out on blanche <laughs> it's it's disgusting it reminds me of that twilight zone where that kid could do had the power to do anything yeah turned his dad into a jack-in-the-box or whatever and of course there's a lot of marital stress going on <laughs> because we can't do anything about yeah. this boy so we hate each other <laughs> You know, it, it did make me laugh because I think it's at this point someone in the audience clearly goes, "I am really disappointed." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it I, it makes me laugh because they hear everything. There's one lady that also goes, "You know, I always say it's the parents' fault when the children." Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, that lady's like, "She must have been this is beyond yeah. the pale." A huge fan. <laughs> well, he was trying to sell the dog, yeah. my sweet innocent daughter, uh, and this and that. And yeah. then you see this shit. <laughs> I'm really disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the baby Jane we know. No. <laughs> but as the Blake brothers perform their juggling act on stage, Cora finds Blanche backstage and approaches her daughter. Cora tells Blanche that she's really the lucky one and that someday it'll be her getting all the attention. But Cora says that when that happens, she wants Blanche to try to be kinder to Jane and their father than they are to her now. Fuck both of them. Uh-uh. I mean, buy your own ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Blanche, the look on Blanche's face was very, um, I swear to God, I'll bury you. Yeah. (laughs) That's all I was, even the line later is like, yeah. (laughs) 
Blanche glares past the camera as Cora asks if she understands, and Blanche says that she does. Cora asks her to try to remember that, and Blanche promises, I won't forget. You bet I won't forget. Before storming off and we fade to black, now Cora has a look on her face like I might have just created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> like she may become the God's hand killer. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but a title card reads 1935 and we fade into a dark theater. A projectionist played by Murray Alper stands in the booth while the light of the projector beams through rising smoke. Ben Feldman and Marty McDonald, two producers played by Burt Freed and Wesley Addy, respectively, sit watching the screen. So I do want to say, um, first of all, Ben Feldman is also the name of the actor who played Ginsburg on Mad Men. <laughs> we were just talking about, oh, that was talk mortem. Yeah, but, but yeah. we were. It yeah. still happened. But for some reason, the subtitles say that his name is Ben Goldman. Mm-hmm. And for another weird reason, on IMDb and Amazon, and I believe possibly the credits, he's credited as Ben Golden. <laughs> and the screenplay it's ben feldman she calls him feldman later like i don't know why the there's hell? so much confusion over this dude's name that is so weird yeah. but on the screen baby jane hudson played by betty davis appears in a film and feldman tears apart her performance so this is actually a clip from the 1933 film parachute jumper mm-hmm. which did star betty davis yeah and it this is the first of a couple of times that they reuse old footage from these actresses careers mm-hmm. it's very cool that they have this to pull from yeah aldrich was talking about trying to find something that made betty davis not look as skilled of an actress as she is right and betty davis said you can really just pick anything from the early years yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're both like, P-U. (laughs) And I don't think it's even that bad. It's not. It's not. But they're they're doing a lot. (laughs) But Feldman takes a call, shouting at whoever's on the other end that he'll be there at 11 before hanging up abruptly and returning his attention to the screen. Jane, in character, appears smoking in bed only to get out of it and peer out of a window before hopping back into bed. Apparently, whatever he's seeing is terrible because Feldman just goes, Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> so is that 35 for fuck or shit? Like, what's it? Because uh, he keeps saying it. It's his and favorite. I'm like, if it's a problem, maybe oh boy isn't the word for this. Well, I feel like there's nothing wrong. No, there's not. But I'm saying, like, if it's that bad, you know, maybe oh boy is too tame. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, well, I'm in company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at work. Um, But he calls up to the projectionist to kill it. The lights come on, and Marty asks Feldman what he thinks of the picture. Feldman simply replies, what's there to think? She stinks. Marty says that the end is pretty good and maybe they should see it through, but Feldman doesn't seem convinced. The projectionist asks if they'd like him to run the picture again, and resigned, Feldman presses the intercom, saying that he doesn't think anybody is ever going to want to run that picture again. It's like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) The two men leave the room, but inside the booth, the projectionist reacts frustrated to his assistant, played by Ralph Volke. Removing the reel, he asks when Feldman hired the Hudson sisters, how come he had to hire the back end of the act too? He says baby Jane has no talent, and his assistant asks why she can't stay sober before tucking into a sandwich. I was like, not why can't she stay sober? God damn. But I'm like, we're still calling her baby Jane? Well, I mean, it's her name. We called a, a man Puff Daddy for a long time. 
<laughs> but he wasn't Puff Baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's a grown man. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> right, even Lil Bow Wow went to Bow Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> Baby Spice is the only one that gets a pass. That's true. Well, maybe it's but, the same thing. But that was her name, <laughs> though. Yeah. Well, this is no, yeah. no. Her name's Jane. She can yeah. be like I don't know, woman Jane. Or something. <laughs> yeah, that's just as catchy. <laughs> Lady Jane, okay. Lady yeah, Jane. I mean, that's great. I mean, if these are our options, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than woman. <laughs> Isn't that what Tarzan said? <laughs> so as far as right now from what we know yeah okay she's probably got a drinking problem but they're setting it up like she was a brat as a kid she's still kind of that way now you know what i mean what they're saying right i i think well what the conversation that's had in just a second they kind of make it like she's just a problem period yeah well that's what i mean like you know like she gave her dad problems when he was trying to work with her as a kid and then now it's like damn so you're still acting up it's like what's going on even with and i'm a little there there comes a point that i'm a little confused i'm confused at the beginning of blanche's motivations um we'll 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 talk we'll talk because i have some answers yes (laughs) all right Because outside, Marty walks with Feldman and defends Jane, saying that she's got her pride and is a very sensitive girl. Feldman counters that his very sensitive girl has gone through six cases of scotch and slugged two studio cops. (laughs) I'm sorry. It sounds like Jane still needs a nap. (laughs) But he also vaguely addresses two other unsavory bits of publicity that happened as well, before they wrapped production on this film. But he says maybe they don't even have to talk to Jane at all. If only Blanche would let them out of the clause in her contract that said that they had to do a picture with Jane for every picture they did with Blanche. So I'm like, she listened to her mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like she really was the bigger person and was like, no, like... Yeah, we all remember the the ice cream situation. (laughs) I'm still going to take care of my sister. Like, that's what, you know. And in all fairness, Jane did offer her an ice cream. She did. She did. She she did. You just didn't want it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not Jane's fault. (laughs) (laughs) What a hell of a contract, though, huh? Yeah. That but that just shows how much power Blanche has. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a whole dude, that's a whole film. Yeah. Yeah. Just because Blanche is this good. That's not a cameo. No. Like that's your own movie. Yeah. 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 Which is kind of uh, different from what I read in the novel because I remember reading in the novel that it was a co-starring credit. Okay, okay. But in the film they're like, no, give her a whole Film. Yeah. You know, honestly, that might be because they, they probably had to do that because they didn't work together until 62. So there weren't. Oh, so there wouldn't okay, be footage. Yeah. That makes sense. But he says that they need to get out of this contract with Jane, and this is what they pay lawyers for. Marty says possibly, but he doesn't see Blanche allowing this to happen. Flustered and ready to deliver some expository dialogue, Feldman says that he doesn't understand it. Blanche Hudson is the biggest thing in movies today. She can write her own ticket. She has script approval. She has more money than she knows what to do with. Marty asks Feldman if he knows that Blanche bought a new house and that it'll take her about a year to fix it up before they can move in. Feldman says that they can manage to struggle on where they are now, but he reiterates that Blanche ought to know that she can't make a star out of Baby Jane again. Marty says that Blanche doesn't have any illusions of that, but that she'll never forget those early years, what her sister did for her. He says that Blanche told him that herself. 
I'm assuming this is that's the ice cream. Right. Yeah. <laughs> She'll never forget. I will never forget it. <laughs> but Feldman says that Blanche isn't doing her sisters any favors and that she's going to end up in a home. But then an idea comes to him. Marty is going to their party tonight in the Grove, right? He can talk to her and try to make her understand. Marty says that he'll do his best, and Feldman says to remind him to send Marty one of those Baby Jane dolls for Christmas. He chuckles, leaning on a brand new 1931 Duesenberg Model J. He asks Marty why they make monsters like this, and Marty tells him, for Blanche Hudson. Feldman tells him that that's their problem. And as he walks off, the camera pans over to a sign in front of the car, reading, reserved for Blanche Hudson. So I was like, when he's like, I'll get you one of those dolls. I'm like, oh, she's just a joke now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, damn. Because she was on top of the world. She's doing the fan thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we remember. (laughs) Yeah, the tap dancing. Yeah. (laughs) I thought this line was very interesting because I was like, is he referring to Blanche's enabling of Jane as the monster or Jane Mm. herself as Blanche's monster because of the contract? Oh, okay. Because kind of either one is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But wasn't she in that uh, Frank Reynolds like debutante pageant or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) Frank's Little Beauty? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Can't forget about that, man. Never. Never. I think she won. (laughs) Oh, that Yankee Doodle bit. (laughs) (laughs) But later that night, We see this car pull into the driveway of a lavish home. The passenger of the car gets out to open the gate, but the driver reaches her hand over to the gear shift. Foot on the clutch and then on the gas, the car pulls forward, tires screeching, as the passenger at the gate turns around in fright. The car crashes in a tight shot, the camera shaking on its license plate, and we hear a blood-curdling scream, followed by cries as smoke bellows from the exhaust of the car. High-heeled shoes scamper away as the cries continue, and we get a shot of the vacant car. The opening credits begin, and from the shattered face of a broken doll, the title appears, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? I think that the look of it over the shattered doll is brilliant. Yes. And the shaking of mm-hmm. the license plate, that showed you how hard that impact was. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. In 1962. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will, I'm not going to lie. I had already forgot that there was no opening title. Oh, so yeah. when this happened, I was like, wait, what the fuck? I was like, well, what, what's happening next though? Hold on. <laughs> I was like, cause you're, some shit just happened and then you're cutting away. It's like, what happened? I honestly, there, there is so much stuff that happens in this film. There comes a point later on that I forget a character exists <laughs> because I, I think what it is, is I just, I, I eventually, I get so enthralled by the performance of Betty Davis. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, you have a sister. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on <laughs> with that dynamic. With that. <laughs> but the opening credits continue over shots of the car accompanied by dramatic music. So I thought this song sounded Bernard Herrmann-esque, almost Mm -hmm. psycho-esque, but the music is by Frank DeVol, who would also go on to score Aldrich's The Dirty Dozen, and he would write the theme song for The Brady Bunch. Okay. (laughs) Versatile. (laughs) So random. (laughs) (laughs) But he co-wrote I'm Writing a Letter to Daddy as well. Oh, all right, all right. A bop in its own right. Well, that's sad. A bop. A bop. (laughs) (laughs) with a tear (laughs) but we cut to the present day in 1962 with on-screen text reading yesterday 
This okay. is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this off mic because all the times I've watched this film, I never remember it saying that. No. <laughs> and this all, the whole rest of this does not happen in one day. Not at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really don't understand why yeah. it says yesterday. I think it should just say 1962. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, don't get it. I don't get it either. But we see a white car making its way down the street and parking in the driveway of a house. Mrs. Bates, played by Anna Lee, steps out of the car, carrying groceries and surveying her neighbor's house over the hedge. The neighbor's house is very large, but we see every window on the second floor has bars over them. Mrs. Bates looks a little troubled by this, but just heads inside her house. Once inside, we see Liza Bates, her daughter, played by B.D. Merrill, watching a film on television. If I can just jump in for a moment. Sure. Um, B.D. Merrill is Betty Davis's daughter. And I think this is like her only scene. <laughs> I think there's one more because there's a, yeah. there's a plot that's you're right, you're right. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, it's her. It's Betty Davis's real life daughter. And so I was kind of digging into that and I found some pretty interesting stuff. Um she wrote, well, okay, everybody knows Mommy Dearest, mm-hmm. okay? Yes. Everyone knows that. But it was a book first by Christina Crawford, Joan Crawford's daughter. Um, and if you've not seen Mommy Dearest, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but finish this <laughs> and then go watch Mommy Dearest. But anyway, she had, Christina Crawford had written that in 78. And then Betty Davis had kind of written her own book in 82 called This and That this and that mm-hmm. which is just cute yeah so bd she changed her name to hyman bd hyman eventually that became her married name because meryl was her actual stepfather and she changed her name and then she got mad at him and then changed it back it's a whole thing she's bd hyman she is still alive mm. um but she wrote a book called My Mother's Keeper in 85. And a lot of people thought that it was because of Christina Crawford's book. But whatever. Like, we don't know, obviously, um, what happened in any of these people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people didn't really receive B.D. Hyman's book very well Mm -hmm. um specifically her family her brother had begged her not to release the book not only because of its content because she really paints betty davis i don't want to say paint because maybe this is all true you know Mm -hmm. and if she was a victim to all of this because you know like a lot of overbearing and um alcohol fueled abuse is alleged in it um it, it is her story to tell and it doesn't matter what's going on and i'm glad that she told it but a lot of people say that it isn't true. I don't fucking know. I was right. obviously not there. Right. Um, you know, caveat, caveat. Yeah. Um, but Betty Davis had just had, she had a cancerous tumor and had a mastectomy. Then she had a stroke and then she broke her hip. And so her brother, like she, her health was failing. Her, Betty Davis's son, B.D. Hyman's brother, mm-hmm. begged her to not release this book. And she did. Um, at that time uh, uh, like a year after oh um so her family was extremely upset with her i think her brother said that it wasn't true and he never spoke to his sister again they never talked again after she released the book betty davis wrote bd hyman out of her will not only her but her children 
Whoa. Betty yeah. Davis's own grandchildren. She wrote them all out of her will over this book. Okay. Um, which is God damn. Well, I I seen a thing on Inside Edition where she I guess had an interview with them and she was telling them stuff and she was like, "Oh, my mom practiced witchcraft." I was like, "Are you just saying stuff?" Yeah, that's to, the thing. Like, I don't stuff, we or? will never know. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I don't nobody know, was but, there. Yeah. And if she did go, you know, witchcraft, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. No, but no, 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 but the stuff that she wrote about was bad. Yeah. And if she went through that, then I hope that she was able to heal from it and I'm sure that being able to write about it was a healing experience but you know the there was a lot of discord in the family over this book right and like i said she was written her and her children were written out of the will and um now like i said she is still alive yeah she has a church bd hyman ministries and records the you know her preaching or whatever and publishes it on a YouTube channel. Really? BD Hyman Ministries. And it's all audios. I looked up the channel and it's just her preaching and talking about Jesus and stuff. Wow. And stuff. Okay. Well, <laughs> and stuff. I just want a very, uh, not a sponsor. Yeah, no, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> not a sponsor. Yeah. But that's that's surprising. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I was surprised that she is. she's still alive. Yeah, yeah. She's still preaching. She's still, I mean, as far as what I read, it's, it's still you know a thing i wonder too and i guess i should have i should have dug a little more into that interview because when she gave that interview i think it said she was like 68 or 69 when she talked to inside edition oh wow so i was i mean damn yeah it's it's wild yeah well she's also in the film yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but in the film that liza is watching a man kisses blanche hudson played by joan crawford as she lies in bed and this clip is from Crawford's 1934 film, Sadie McKee. So again, yeah, you love it. But Liza greets her mother and they watch the film together for a moment until it's interrupted by an announcer played by Michael Fox. He apologizes for interrupting the Blanche Hudson film before launching into an advertisement for dog food. I don't know why, but the second the dog food ad starts, Liza goes, shut up. Yeah, she's mad. <laughs> <It's> like, <"Dude." laughs> they should have um, upgraded to the ad free channel right yeah but uh, <laughs> we hate ads and they yeah. hated ads yeah. in 35 yeah. well, it was just getting good because as soon as mrs bates uh-huh. came home she was sucked right the yeah. fuck into the movie well and we learned why yeah yeah it will be and maybe it's not even the ads maybe it's just the placement of the ads yeah that's true you know what i mean if some shit's fixing to go down please don't interrupt it with the Tell fucking canned yeah. beans or whatever the fuck Seriously. it was. Or, the, you know, the smartest thing is to open your show with the ads. You ah. know? Ideally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Liza gets up to turn down the volume on the television. Mrs. Bates sits down on the couch, reminiscing on the first time that she saw the film, saying that she thought it was wonderful. Liza asks when that was, and Mrs. Bates says that she saw it with Liza's father before they were married. Liza posits that Blanche must be about 150 years old by now. You're grounded. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Mrs. Bates corrects her, saying that Blanche is probably only a few years older than she is. Liza is shocked to hear this, asking why they never see her around then. She says they've been living next door to her for six months now, and all she ever sees is Blanche's sister just slouching around. She asks her mom if they ever have company or what, She says it must be awful and recounts how her friend Julie told her that Blanche's sister is kind of peculiar. Mrs. Bates says that she's never heard this before, but she says it kind of suspiciously. 
She does. <laughs> Why? Yeah. That's crazy. Like you've heard only that, haven't you? <laughs> but Liza says that that's just what Julie told her and that the sister is supposed to have been responsible for the accident that paralyzed Blanche. Mrs. Bates just tells her daughter that that was a long time ago and says that maybe she shouldn't pay so much attention to everything that Julie Fowler tells her. She says that there are too many people in this town with nothing to do but talk. But Liza defends Julie's knowledge or whatever. I don't know what really was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Julie's knowledge. (laughs) But Mrs. Bates just tells her daughter to turn up the television because they're missing the film. Liza does as told, but we then cut to Blanche in present day, watching her old film on television in her bedroom, a smile gracing her face and her eyes off somewhere reminiscing. But this is all broken when she doesn't agree with an edit that was made in the film. In her wheelchair, she goes over to the side of her bed to retrieve a pack of cigarettes, complaining that they should have held the shot longer. She says that she told them when they rehearsed it and when they shot it. But she continues to watch the film, putting a cigarette in her mouth, admitting with a smile that nevertheless, it's still a pretty good picture. I was like, oh. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Her face as she watches it, there's so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that I, I do have to say about this is that this this film really belongs to Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. Right. But Joan Crawford gives such a subdued and nuanced performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is honestly very, very remarkable. Yeah. Well, again, like we talked about at the top with their like approaches to their careers and their roles as a whole Mm -hmm. it's all here yeah you know what i mean and and joan crawford is still beautiful and like sympathetic character Mm -hmm. and betty davis is just throwing her entire body her every like she acts with every muscle in her body right she she holds nothing back she's not worried about looking beautiful she's not nothing you know I think that's one thing I respected a lot about Betty Davis is that she is straight up a character actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she goes for that character, whatever the character is, 100%. That mm-hmm. is something that I had read, too, about how a lot of actresses at the time really wanted to be perceived, you know, obviously as glamorous. And you look at Joan Crawford and you look at interviews with her. And I mean, she's immaculate always. And Betty Davis would do her own makeup in a lot of films when she needed to look sick or needed to be bruised Mm -hmm. or anything. And she would make herself look the way that the character was supposed to look. She was not worried about being attractive or glamorous or any of that. And so, I mean, you can you can see it like the different ways that they approached everything you see it in this and it works for both of them there's a bit of trivia as well because joan crawford wanted blanche to wear extravagant dresses and gowns and norma coke the costume designer fought against it because she said blanche hudson would not be wearing these things but joan crawford would yeah Yeah. (laughs) the interesting thing though is coke was right because the only oscar win to come from whatever happened to baby jane was her win for costume design well, I mean, if it's if that's literally somebody's job, yeah, yeah. Maybe we to but I've made all these costumes, <laughs> but I want to look glamorous. <laughs> it's funny because I looked at a lot of the reviews, and a lot of what I seen was like they didn't like it was mixed. They yeah, either loved it or hated it. One of them was a Richard L. Cole from the Washington Post. He had wrote, 
Miss Davis has the showiest role and bites into it with all her admired force. If Miss Crawford has the passive role, that is not without reward. Suffering is one of her particular gifts. So you do feel, that's what I'm saying. Like for me, I can feel what's going on. And yeah. I'm like, God damn, this is rough. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You feel bad for them. You are upset at Jane for shit that she does. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? But yeah, there, <laughs> it's weird reading the from what is this uh 60 62 62 yeah. reading the reviews from it and some of them do that was some of the stuff that they complained about they were like these are just caricatures they're not even it's like and they're like this is over the top and it's not as like but i i get it but sometimes it's like when you're emotional or when you're you do get over the top mm -hmm. or you do act out or you're so frustrated sometimes you do just get angry and then freak out or whatever like that's what happens in normal life so if they are going through trauma or there's shit going on they're gonna act that way and the thing is for me is that it is very dramatic but i mean you have them meeting each other with betty davis being very very over the top at some points yeah but betty davis is honestly playing like four characters in this movie yeah yeah the way that she plays jane in different points in time yeah, yeah. and then you have joan crawford who is that more subdued so i i don't really think anything of joan crawford's is over the top in this film really yeah no so. her no but again there is a lot of a lot of subtlety in what she brings yeah and it is very easily overshadowed by betty davis yeah. just really leaving nothing, nothing like <laughs> eating and leaving no crumbs <laughs> but joan crawford brings a lot to blanche in her own right yeah mm -hmm. and they're both drawing on their own personal experiences yeah um from show business from their personal lives before show business yeah there's a lot to take from each of these roles and i honestly will say you know betty davis absolutely deserved to be nominated and possibly win i think yeah um, yeah but joan crawford deserved to be nominated for supporting yeah mm -hmm. and she wasn't yeah that's yeah, crazy. that's pretty wild, actually. And what she did later, you know, it's that's the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I think about. I think we're we're all trying to take a very global view at the like alleged feud and like their um, the the their histories in Hollywood and and whatnot and whatnot. But you know they. The streets talk. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, you're saying, I'm not going to sit here. <laughs> are you saying sides are quietly picked? Sides are uh, sides are picked. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and be, again, I've I've watched Mommy Dear since I was a child. I got my opinions yeah. on people, you know. And I really like Dead Ringers. Yes. <laughs> that was great. That's a great movie. Um, But, you know, again, <laughs> I guess that's it. <laughs> I think we kind of just said which side. <laughs> I'm just saying credit where credit is due. That's all I'm saying. Yes. And they both really did give very um, strong performances in this. They just did it in their own ways that are very true to who they were, mm -hmm. I believe, as women in the industry and as actresses. Right. I think that it's very reflective of who they are. Yeah, I agree. But downstairs, Jane sits at a table in a night coat, her face fully made up in makeup. So I heard on that documentary that Betty Davis was credited for a lot, if not all, of Jane's look, including the makeup and the wig. Mm -hmm. uh, the interesting story about the wig itself is that was it was rumored to have been on loan from MGM and was actually worn by Joan Crawford in a previous film, <laughs> which is wild. Yeah. That's hilarious. But Betty Davis obviously didn't know this, and she did so much to it to use it in this film that Joan Crawford didn't realize it either. 
Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I read that um Betty Davis was quoted as saying because like you said she did the makeup yeah and so when she had put it on um because she said that in her mind jane hudson was not somebody who washed her face at the end of the day Mm -hmm. she just woke up in the morning and put on another coat of makeup and kept it moving and And that's um, the vibe that is the vibe and so she said that she had put it on and she showed her daughter uh the daughter we were just talking about and that she said, Mother, you've really gone too far this time. <laughs> <laughs> it's bold. It's yeah. a lot, but God damn it, it's so perfect. I, I, Even the little heart. Yeah. Ball, yeah. Like she, it's it's perfect. The heart is the cherry on yes, the <laughs> But Jane goes over her paperwork, and after taking a swig from a glass of liquor and yawning, she collects the papers and stashes them on a water cooler. She grabs her glass, taking another drink as she shuffles upstairs. When she hears the score of Blanche's film from the television, annoyance consumes her and her pace quickens up the stairs. She walks into Blanche's room, sarcastically asking her if she's enjoying herself before shutting off the television. <laughs> there was literally no. Yeah. <laughs> no. no reason for her to do that. <laughs> Blanche tells her that she was watching the film and with a stern look, Jane just replies, then you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Blanche says that she won't have her speak to her that way, but Jane just slams the door shut behind her, startling Blanche's pet bird that sits perched in a cage beside her bed. Blanche sues the bird with her cigarette breath. Now, <laughs> bird's like pee. <laughs> I this is a dead bird squawking, right? So okay, I have in my notes. I was like, "What? What movie were we just talking about being concerned for the bird?" It was a tale and of two sisters. It was sisters. a tale yeah. of two sisters, and I was like, "Oh, this is also a tale of two sisters." Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> Different. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also scared for this bird. <laughs> I'll put you down as also scared. <laughs> but the next morning, between sips of alcohol, so already yesterday doesn't so make any sense. Just- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the rest of this movie yeah. happened today. Yeah. It's already gone. <laughs> But between sips of alcohol, Jane makes breakfast. She's interrupted by the doorbell ringing and opens the door to find Mrs. Bates standing there holding flowers. She apologizes for the intrusion, but tells Jane that she just couldn't resist cutting flowers and bringing them to Blanche after watching her film on television yesterday. She tells Jane that she must be so proud of her sister's new success on television, and Jane just mutters, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, you can't even pretend to be nice like even just to uphold appearances. Yeah. But then I remembered <laughs> when she was like, "Bitch, I pay your bills. Give me ice cream." Yeah. And I'm like, "No, she she uh, doesn't care." What made You've me never <laughs> cared. No. <laughs> what made me laugh is just the open disdain. But yeah. Mrs. Bates is like, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Mrs. Bates says that it's been so nice to see Blanche's old pictures like this, and Jane says that she'll pass the message along. Mrs. Bates oversteps a little, saying that she and Liza would just love to meet Blanche one of these days. Perhaps she could, but Jane puts a stop to it, telling her that Blanche never goes out and that she isn't fit to receive visitors. Mrs. Bates apologizes, but she kindly says that she hopes Blanche still enjoys the flowers. Jane reluctantly takes them and the two part company, but Jane returns to the kitchen, dumping the flowers into the sink with disdain and grabbing a pan from the stove. Just as she goes to dish out its contents, she hears a buzzing noise sound off three times. She looks up irritated before calling her sister a miserable, 
but the buzzing censors the B word that she clearly says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. She's hungry. Yeah, right? Yeah. No shit. But the camera dips down from a painting of Blanche to find her incessantly pressing the buzzer. Jane makes her way upstairs with Blanche's breakfast, setting it down to open the door, then picking it up again to walk into the room. Blanche apologizes immediately, saying that she didn't mean to ring for her breakfast. She was just curious about all the people she heard at the back door. It was one person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Let's not reel it in. <laughs> Who was that crowd down there? You had one fan. <laughs> <laughs> all those people. <laughs> Jane tells her that it wasn't anything, just that nosy Mrs. Bates going on about her picture on television last night. Joy fills Blanche's face as she asks, oh, really? Did she like it? <laughs> Jane mimics, oh, really? Did she like it? And she goes, yeah, she liked it. <laughs> what a fucking bitch, I was like, oh, my God. But I, I do want to say the moment is dramatically punctuated by music. And it's because Jane does a perfect impression of Blanche. Yes. It's foreshadowing. Yeah. Something to remember. Yeah. Um, and she is lip syncing. Uh, clearly. Joan Crawford's yeah. lip syncing. <laughs> that bitch sounded just Yeah. <laughs> it's impressive. But it's. it's that's, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Did she like it? <laughs> yeah, she liked it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you're an asshole. <laughs> At least she wasn't like, oh, she hated it. Yeah, yeah. that's true. She could have been, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as Jane sets down her breakfast, Blanche continues smiling, reminiscing on when the film was first released, how audiences and critics loved it. Her back to Blanche, Jane just rolls her eyes, bringing her sister a glass of water and her pills. Blanche remembers that the year was 1934, and she made this film after she made another film called Moon Glow. Jane says that she was also in a picture that year, and Blanche incorrectly guesses that it was a comedy, but Jane tells her that it was a romantic picture called The Longest Night, and Marty McDonald says it was the best thing that she ever did. After Blanche takes her medicine, Jane snatches the glass from her, saying that they never even released The Longest Night in the United States. Blanche tries to take up for the producers, saying that Feldman was very upset and said the company had a very bad year that year and they just couldn't but Jane said the studio had a great year that year, and they just didn't want to show her film. They were too busy building up the crap that Blanche was turning out. Damn, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Just then, Blanche's bird begins chirping. He's like, listen, lady. <laughs> I understand you got a lot going on between you and your sister. <laughs> no, but the bird is upset. <sighs> but Jane says that she'll clean the bird cage, picking it up and taking it with her out the door. At this point, all I see is Jane being mean to Blanche. Right now. Right now. And even then, that led me to believe, and and it was one person, but her being that excited about somebody being there leads me to believe that this has been going on for some time. You know what I mean? She's not being able to get out of her room. She can't have any visitors. It's like, man, what the fuck's going on here? Well, even enough for her to be like, oh, she's buzzing. She wants her food. Yeah. Like, they have a system. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's get, it's going great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for both yeah, of them. <laughs> yeah. But downstairs, a door opens and closes, Blanche remarking that it must be Elvira. Jane just says, yeah, and slams the door behind her. She's just so miserable. Yeah. She is miserable. Yeah. Blanche stays behind, seemingly annoyed, but goes to enjoy her breakfast. Carrying the birdcage downstairs, Jane finds Elvira Stitt, played by Mady Norman. 
So we talked about Mady Norman on episode 135 because she played Nurse Agnes in Halloween 3. Okay. Yes! If you recall. Right. Yes! But she was a great actress who had a pretty incredible career. Mm-hmm. It was film, television, theater. And I also read in an interview in Jet Magazine where she talked about rewriting some of Elvira's dialogue. Okay. Oh, yeah. Apparently it was very stereotypical and so she gave the character more dignity. And Elvira is a very important character. Yeah, yeah, she is. And she plays her incredibly well. No, yeah. Talk about supporting actress nominations. Yeah, yeah, that is really fucking cool, too. But Jane walks right past her, and they barely even exchange a look when they cross paths. Jane heads out while Elvira heads upstairs. She knocks on Blanche's door and is invited inside. Elvira begins tidying up after they exchange pleasantries, Blanche noticing her mood and assuming that she saw Jane a few moments ago, and she is correct. Elvira asks if Blanche had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Shelby about Jane like she planned, but Blanche says that she hasn't yet. She says it's very difficult and she doesn't want to upset Jane if she can help it. Elvira responds that Jane will be upset either way, and the longer Blanche leaves it, the worse it will all be. As Blanche continues eating her breakfast, she tells Elvira that she hoped it wouldn't be necessary, and in fact, she thinks Jane seems to be much better lately. But Elvira just says that it's none of her business, but Jane has been drinking again. She's trying to warn you, man. Listen to your homie. She is. She's there seeing it. I get it. Sometimes we don't see what's going on in our normal routines or when we go on. But like she's there outside and she can see what's going on. She's trying to warn you. And with family. Yeah. She's not here for the bullshit either. Yeah, no. She's like, she, she's drinking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's like, listen. Blanche lies saying that she hasn't noticed. But after a stern look from Elvira, just says that she doesn't think that it does Jane much harm and thinks that she actually understands Jane. Elvira asks sarcastically if she does and says that she ought to take a look at something then. From her purse, Elvira retrieves an envelope and gives it to Blanche. It's fan mail. Blanche is all smiles and begins going through them, saying how kind people are, but Elvira tells her to look through them to tell her if she's actually seen them before. Blanche asks if Elvira read them, but she didn't, and this is peculiar because they've all been opened, even the one marked personal. <laughs> Come on. Man. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> My mail. Yeah. <laughs> Blanche reads it, and it's from a woman who watched an old film of hers called The Last Honeymoon with her husband and said it was like meeting an old friend seeing Blanche again. This charms Blanche, but Elvira says that the point is that Blanche never saw these letters before. Blanche doesn't understand, asking where Elvira found these, and Elvira puts it bluntly, in the trash barrel. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) So Jane opened them, read them, and then copied them into the fucking trash. Absolutely. That's wild. But it it's it, what makes me laugh is how long it takes Blanche to understand what is going on. Yeah. <laughs> and where did you get this? <laughs> because they discover that all of these letters were sent from the television station that's been running Blanche's old films, and Blanche finally now puts it together. Jane read them and threw them away. Elvira's like, who else? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Blanche says that Jane must have just thought that they were advertisements, but Elvira hands her the envelope, turning it over. Blanche reads from it and recoils in shock. Elvira remarks, writing dirty words like that. 
I can't even remember the last time I saw words like that written down. So you're telling me, <laughs> <laughs> Jane, open this envelope from <laughs> from the television station. She reads it. She grabs the envelope, turns it over, and she's like, "Fuck you!" Yeah. And, stuff, and then and then throws it <laughs> away. Them out. Yeah. I'm so. That's a lie. She's like, "Bitch, bitch." bitch, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's wild. <laughs> You didn't have to do that. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> really Throwing them away wasn't enough? It's really yeah. overkill. You know, that was for her because yeah. it went in the trash. It's, that was all for Jane. That's catharsis. That <laughs> to Jane from Jane. But Blanche is confounded, asking why Jane would do something like this. But Elvira tells her that Jane is sick and she's not getting any better. She says that in the last month, Jane has actually even gotten worse. She asks if Blanche doesn't believe her, why is she planning to sell the house and move? Blanche wonders if Jane knows of these plans, but Elvira says that Blanche doesn't have anything in writing. But Blanche says that she and Jane are sisters and they know each other very well. Elvira says regardless, in six weeks, Blanche will have to hand over the house and Jane will definitely know then. Blanche doesn't know how to break the news to her sister, but Elvira again suggests Dr. Shelby. Maybe he could tell her. But Blanche says that it should be her. She can't let a stranger tell Jane. Yeah, that that would kind of be a little. It's like, just tell me yourself. You well, know what um, I mean, imagine if you're getting life changing information, and she's like, "Okay, now this is Doctor Shelby. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna be in here." <laughs> the thing is, though, if y'all keep talking about it at full volume, yeah, she's right. probably going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> Blanche explains that Elvira didn't know Jane when she was younger, and it's more than any old picture could show. Jane wasn't just pretty. She was alive. Her eyes dart over to her bedroom door where Jane is now standing. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) But the only representation we get of her as young is being a little asshole. Well, she was very talented. (laughs) Alive? You mean alive or she had a fucking problem? Both. (laughs) You can be two things. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, we missed a lot of years as well. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) But Jane stands there holding the cleaned birdcage. She explains that while she was cleaning it, the bird got out and it flew out the window. How convenient. Yeah. (laughs) She was like, the bird flew out the window and said, like, I hate Blanche or (laughs) fuck Blanche or something. It was something. (laughs) She said, I wrote on an envelope or something. (laughs) (laughs) It was weird. I hate Blanche's movies. I don't know. (laughs) The bird was upset. But as she goes to place the cage where it once was, Elvira's like, did you let that bird out on purpose? But Jane repeats her story again before leaving the room and offering a very quick and very curt, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she is. Yeah, you're not. (laughs) No, that's not real. Also, (laughs) what the saddest part about all this is we are laughing because it's... it's, crazy yeah but it is horrible that was her pet it is um blanche just takes it in stride she's not even like overly shocked or upset she's just like well does she say hope he comes back or something yeah it it, it, that is something too is the constant overlook of the siblings bad behavior and not wanting to call it out or like because just because somebody's your brother or sister doesn't mean that they're you know what I mean? The best person in the world or they're great. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is one. It's like, dude, you're I hate to say that you're letting Jane continue to get away with this. But you're I mean, you kind of are. It's like, well, that's yeah. what El- I think. That's what Elvira's trying. No, yeah. To, you know that it's kind of she's like, uh, come on. Yeah. 
it's a pattern of behavior, but it's a pattern of enabling. Yeah, well, it is as well. Yeah. And if it's never if it's never called out, it, it'll just keep happening. Mm-hmm. And it and it's unfortunate that shit like that does happen. But God damn. Again, from where I'm looking, Jane's still a pain in the ass. Like she's <laughs> no, she, the, she's the problem so far. Well, she was like, fly my pretty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to her, her to her pet. Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> But Elvira is convinced that Jane did it on purpose. And as you said, Blanche just shrugs it off, very hopeful that the bird might come back home. That bird ain't coming back. No. Well. Well. (laughs) In a different way. Yeah. (laughs) Downstairs, Jane goes through the cabinet, finding all her liquor bottles to be empty and appearing very worried. Throw the empties away, Jane. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess. Well, no. I was going to say she wouldn't want Blanche to see him in the trash, but Blanche isn't. No, well, yeah. downstairs. Wins recycling. Oh, and so is this from the week? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this was yesterday or whatever. <laughs> but that is funny that they do that a lot, and I've never really like called it out or thought about it. But there are other movies or cartoons or TV shows, or whatever. When there's nothing to eat, there's just empty shit. Like, it's throw like, it away. <laughs> it's like what? It's like someone's like, "Well, I'm saving one bite." Yeah, or whatever. It's like, what? <laughs> get out of here. But back upstairs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Blanche asks Elvira if she won't change her mind about coming to live with her, and Elvira assures her that she never goes back on her word, but says that Blanche needs to find somewhere for Jane to live where they can look after her properly. Blanche, with a pained look, says that she has made up her mind, and that she plans to call Dr. Shelby today. Her eyes move around Elvira, meeting her again for a fleeting moment before darting away again. Elvira just puts a hand on Blanche's shoulder, conveying her understanding of how difficult this must be for her. Blanche says that she just has to be sure that she's doing the right thing for Jane. But downstairs, Jane shuffles around, adjusting her dress roughly before glancing up the stairs. After she sees that the coast is clear, she sits down to make a phone call. After dialing, she's connected with the grocery store and tries to place an order for more liquor. She's told that they're not allowed to take orders from her anymore and finds out that Blanche has put a stop to this. So why would they give up Blanche like that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's your sister's fault. Wild. <laughs> your sister lives in the same house. Well, yeah. Why yeah. do that? Because they can't make money off her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, fix this. Yeah. <laughs> but after a moment, an idea comes to Jane and she puts on an act pretending to call out for Blanche to put her on the phone. She then mimics Blanche, introducing herself and saying that there must be some misunderstanding. She says she didn't mean to suggest that they shouldn't fill orders for Jane. They do pay their bills after all. She smiles, asking politely, and then says that she'll put Jane back on now. Jane holds the phone out for a moment before returning to it with her normal voice, placing an order for six bottles of scotch and three bottles of gin, the same brands as soon as possible. God damn. Yeah, she it's can a lot drink. Of liquor. Yeah. Um, it, the way that she's like passing the phone between, you know, yeah. and her face is like, I can't believe I have to do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is unbelievable. This is beyond. <laughs> but she hangs up the phone, incredibly proud of herself. But when she turns around, she sees Elvira standing there holding Blanche's breakfast tray. <laughs> Hey, Elvira. <laughs> How long were you standing there for? You didn't like hear a perfect <laughs> imitation a perfect or anything. <laughs> right? <laughs> but Elvira tells Jane with an unkind stare that she's headed downtown to see a man about jury duty. But as she told Blanche, she will be back tomorrow. 
She leaves without a word from Jane, and after she does, Jane takes the phone off the hook. There's a shot of Jane in the foreground and Elvira leaving in the background. It looks like a standoff in a Western. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, it was very... Something's going down. (laughs) (laughs) But upstairs, Blanche attempts to read a book, but is preoccupied by the phone call she has to make to Dr. Shelby. Eventually, she puts the book down and does what she promised Elvira she would. Only when she attempts to dial out, it doesn't work. And we again see the phone downstairs, the receiver off the hook. Blanche calls out, hello, and continues her attempt to no avail as the music grows dramatic. So I think Jane heard the conversation from earlier. (laughs) (laughs) But sometime later, Jane sits at the piano with a drink, slowly playing the notes to I've written a letter to daddy. And across the room, she hears herself as a child singing the song a cappella. Across the room, we see one of the baby Jane dolls sitting in a chair, staring blankly. Jane puts her drink down as the singing continues, and she walks over to the doll, but when she touches the bow on its head, the singing stops. Kind of frightening and sad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that's just how that's the power button for the doll. (laughs) (laughs) But she takes the bow, smiling with tears in her eyes as she places it on her own head and continues singing the song where her memory left off. She caresses the doll's face as she continues to sing, and we see Blanche upstairs, concerned and putting down the book she was reading when she hears Jane. She closes her book as Jane continues her act downstairs, standing under an overhead lamp as if it were a spotlight. With a childlike affect, she does the whole act, saying that when she's very good and does as she is told, she's Mama's little angel and Papa says she's good as gold. But when she's very bad and answers back in sass, then she's mama's little devil and papa says she's got the brass. She continues, I wish that you would tell me because I'm much too young to know. But when she steps into the light further, she sees herself in the mirror, no longer the vaudevillian child star, but the full grown adult Jane in her 50s. She looks puzzled and horrified before covering her face and letting out a pained scream. It's heartbreaking. Um, if you kind of let go for a moment, the fact that um, she probably did something to Blanche's bird. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, all this stuff with the letters and just her overall cruelty. It's devastating. Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. sad. And she does this thing where she regresses and it happens multiple times throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And it's like she literally forgot. Like you forgot that you're a grown ass woman at this point. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. This sequence to me is brilliant. Just the entire thing, the way that it's shot, because the camera kind of dips down and it finds her under the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there is so many moments. The cinematography is brilliant because anytime it seems that Jane has moments like this, it seems to be framed like a stage. And we see yeah. that later on. There's a really good moment later on that we'll talk about. So with- Ernie Haller was worth fighting over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. I did want to talk about him for a second because he was a cinematographer, as we said. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said that he shot both Dangerous and Jezebel for Betty Davis, her two Oscar wins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also shot Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford for her Oscar win. Yeah. But he shot Gone with the Wind in 1939. Holy shit. And he won an Oscar. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good for him. Yeah. Right. 
He's kind of magic. Hell yeah. He's a good luck charm. <laughs> but this, honestly, this to me, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't think whatever happened to Baby Jane is horror. And I'm like, well, moments like this are pretty horrifying. Yeah. Because you kind of get into the psyche of Jane and you worry for her and then you feel sympathy for her and then you also worry for Blanche. Very oh, worried no, yeah. for Blanche. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of things, this movie. Yeah, I uh, like I said, it, it it was it's very sad. Yes, it is. <laughs> and then watching that, I was like, oh my god! I was like, man, this is. I was like, it, not like I understand because I've never been a child actor, uh-huh. but I know that we've seen this happen in real life. Oh yeah, and it's like, god damn, like what the fuck? I can't even imagine what you know what I mean. That's like, yeah, you know, you're doing this, you don't fully know what's going on, you're just being thrown out there paraded to you know do whatever the yeah. hell you're told to do and and there is effects you know yeah. we've seen it imagine as a child you're just coming online mentally yeah and your first memories are being the most famous person in the world yeah, yeah. and then it just disappears yeah what and does that do to a person the, the financial backbone of your family yeah. the responsibility yeah. of that yeah that i can't i'm struggling like it's you can't handle that as a fucking adult (laughs) it's a lot (laughs) i did want to say as well because i read an article about this they were talking about all the different aspects of jane's character Mm -hmm. because there's these moments that are almost a performative regression but later with things that she is saying to blanche yeah it is full on Mm -hmm. and it kind of there is that's why i think that her performance a lot of people say it's over the top but it's really nuanced it is like it's incredible yeah but after seeing herself in the mirror and screaming, Jane collapses into sobs as Blanche rings the buzzer from her bedroom over and over again. I was like, Blanche, don't. Yeah. <laughs> now Girl. is not the time. Yeah, she's going through it down there. She's like, Jane! <laughs> Jane! <laughs> Stop! Don't. <laughs> You're fine. Don't do it. Jane returns to herself, screaming to her sister, All right, Blanche, I've heard it, Miss Big Fat Movie Star. She calls her a rotten, stinking actress and says that she rings a bell and assumes the whole world will come running. She imitates people waiting on her every beck and call, screaming at her as she slaps the piano lid closed, sending a cacophonous sound echoing throughout the house and startling Blanche upstairs. Jane says that they can find something appropriate for Blanche for lunch, heading into the kitchen to prepare it. Now that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's really bad. (laughs) After pouring her a spot of tea, she opens the cloche, eyeing its contents with a strange look in her eyes. She looks pleased. <laughs> oh, she, yeah. she looks very pleased mm-hmm. with whatever has transpired here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but she brings the lunch upstairs and Blanche remarks that it's a bit early. Jane asks what she was ringing for then, and Blanche says that it was about the telephone not working. She thinks someone might have left it off the hook downstairs. Jane just says, is that so? And she asks Blanche who she wanted to call anyway. Blanche tells her that she was just trying to call their old business manager, Bert Hanley. As Jane sits down, Blanche tells her that it's about their money, and Bert thinks that they'll have to sell the house. Here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Blanche... You heard all that that was going on downstairs. Yes, you yeah. did. But you thought, I'll tell her now. <laughs> <laughs> really picking your spots. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Read the room. Yeah. Now is not the time. No. 
end of man, man, man. Like she kept doing it. Yeah. One, one buzz. She was having a moment. Now she's going to freak out because you did it over and over and over. We Come all on. need a little yeah. scream and cry time sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't be buzzing me and fucking, we got to sell her out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. don't do that to me no. right now. And now you're about to have a very appropriate lunch. Or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's frightening. <laughs> But playing with her hair, Jane asks why they'd have to sell the house. Blanche calmly says that their financial situation has gotten to the point that they can't afford it as their investments aren't paying much. Jane asks accusatorily when Bert told her all of this, and Blanche says that it was early last week. Jane says Bert didn't call here last week, so Blanche says instead that he wrote her a letter. Now, Blanche, (laughs) girl. You already know that Jane has been intercepting and reading your mail. Yes. <laughs> so you go straight to that? This yeah. is a bad lie. This is a bad lie. Jane immediately calls bullshit, saying that there was no call and there was no letter, and that Blanche is a liar and she always has been. She points a finger at her, telling her that Blanche herself called Bert four weeks ago and told him to sell the house. Blanche looks away, denying it, and is <laughs> clearly lying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jane asks, don't you think I know everything that goes on in this house? Realization washes over Blanche's face and she tells Jane, you've been spying on me. What? (laughs) Jane doesn't deny it, but Blanche is flabbergasted. All that she's done for her and Jane spies on her when she's only trying to help her. But Jane yells at her, asking who she's trying to help and what Blanche plans to do with her after the house is sold. Send her to some nice little place where they'll look after her? Blanche doesn't deny this, but Jane just stalks her way over to the telephone in Blanche's room, unplugging it and telling her that she probably shouldn't tire herself out using the phone anymore. And that any calls that come in, Jane will just take them downstairs. This really couldn't have gone worse. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's just, uh, just bad. It's and just now, all bad. Now you're out of plan. You're out of phone. Yeah. yeah. Can I get a different nurse? <laughs> yeah, this not I fucked out. up. Yeah. I fucked up. I made a huge mistake. But before leaving, Jane tells Blanche to eat her lunch. Blanche tries to go into the hall to talk to her sister, but Jane just goes into her own room, slamming the door behind her. Blanche closes her door and returns to her table to have her lunch. She pulls the tray in front of her, removing the lid to find resting on a bed of tomatoes, her dead bird. This is fucking evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, it it's the sliced tomatoes for me. <laughs> she could have just thrown the bird in there and been done with it, but she really set it up on a hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she ruined um, a lot of tomatoes for this. She ruined a lot. It was a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> but so what was her plan then? I mean... She was just like saving the bird or... Like, then she, I, I, I just don't, why? Like in her pocket? I don't know. She, she's like, Blanche is going to piss me off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and this will oh, make sense. Yeah. All right. Now's the time for the appropriate lunch or whatever. <laughs> this is so fucking cruel and mean. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so Jane's evil. Yeah. Uh, Blanche, of course, screams in horror, closing the lid. Now the bird, she was, it was foreshadowing because the bird did come home in a way. Yeah. Aww. It was funny to me, though, because there it just kind of cuts here. You'd think there'd be more to this immediately. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they all. don't even talk about it. <laughs> She's like, that's my bird or anything. <laughs> There's no conversation. <laughs> we just cut to Jane getting ready in her room, all dressed, wearing a hat and carrying her purse. 
She reaches into her purse, pulling out her lipstick, and looks down Lynn's as if it were a mirror to apply it. I feel like you were already good on the lipstick, but do you, girl? Like, she was like, no more. <laughs> okay, I, too, I was like, don't you have lipstick on already? But It wasn't just, enough? Again, it's in black and white, right. so I was just like, well, it looks like you got it on, but all right. No, she had it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I can assure you. Yeah. <laughs> it was there. But before leaving, Jane notices Blanche's detached telephone sitting at the edge of her bed, so she snags it on her way out of the room. There was one interesting thing in the set design that I did notice is there are two pictures of Jane and her father in her bedroom, and they're both the same picture. Really? Mm. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay. I didn't notice that. Me neither. They're on uh, both dressers in the room. Huh. Man, their mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, give a fuck. yeah that's true. No pictures of you and your mom. <laughs> All right. But as Jane heads downstairs, Blanche calls out to her, coming out into the hallway, stopping her wheelchair at the top of the stairs. There's still no talk about this bird. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. But she tells Jane that she wants to talk to her, but Jane just throws the telephone into one of the rooms downstairs and walks out the front door. Blanche turns to head back to her bedroom, but eyes the telephone downstairs. A plan is hatched as she pulls herself toward the banister and removes her legs from the footplates of the wheelchair. She grabs hold of the banister and goes to pull herself up, but as she looks down at the stairs below, frustration consumes her and she settles back into her wheelchair. Tearful, she goes back toward her bedroom. That is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It's so cruel. It's just cruel. Like, it's right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really fucking sad. These moments add up a lot, and they really remind me a lot of Misery. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'm wondering how much influence Misery had on Stephen King. That's a really yeah. good point. Or Misery yeah. was Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> how much influence? It influenced him a lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> so much so that he created it. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, Baby Jane had on yeah. Stephen King. <laughs> But sometime later, Mrs. Bates tends to her garden as very upbeat music plays. <laughs> the music it is. is fucking uh, tearing it up. <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember when Betty Davis was on the Andy Williams show and she sang that song about whatever happened to Baby Jane? It's literally yeah. the song. That's oh, okay. Yeah. I watched that video. <laughs> yeah. But with lyrics to it. It's oh. like, <laughs> and all I hear is the lyrics when I hear it. It's, <laughs> it's very good. But in her bedroom, Blanche pulls herself up on the bars on her window, trying to get Mrs. Bates' attention, but she can't seem to. She looks back at her desk and eyes her typewriter, sitting back down in her wheelchair. Meanwhile, Jane drives through town without a care in the world. So I did read, I can't remember where, we looked at 50 million articles. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't afford to do the back projection that you mostly see in films of this era. Yeah. And so Betty Davis is just driving around Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and she said that people's reaction to seeing her was kind of I bet. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. But I just thought it was interesting that the budget was so low that Betty Davis is driving. Yeah. That's so cool. And she's barely when when uh Blanche went to the window, she barely cried out for help. Yeah, well, she hasn't had lunch today. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, because be- I was like, come- yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> She's weak. Yeah. That's what I have to. You're going to have to be a lot louder than that, especially with the fucking bop. That's- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mrs. That's Bates <laughs> just singing along or whatever. <laughs> but back in the house, the music is still playing and Blanche sits down at her typewriter and begins typing. 
Jane arrives at the newspaper office, putting some change in the parking meter before heading inside the building. She talks to the clerk, played by Bob's Watson. Jane says she's here about an advertisement she placed over the phone this morning, and the clerk asks for a reference number, which she retrieves from her purse. The clerk finds her ad and has her look the copy over, which she approves. He treats her just like he would any other customer, asking if she wants it in the want ads or the personal ads, and she smiles, telling him that the personal ads are nicer. He gives her the price of $6.30 for an eight-line ad, punching it into the cash register. He gets a pen and paper asking her who is placing the ad because he says that they have to know. She says, well, I am. (laughs) (laughs) The clerk still needs a name, however, for their records. So she tells him she's Jane Hudson. Baby Jane Hudson. Maybe he remembers her. I said that like Mantis (laughs) Tobias. And who might you be? (laughs) (laughs) But she is... (laughs) (laughs) she is beaming a smile (laughs) but the clerk pretends that this name actually means something to him you have to you cannot look that woman in the face and be like i'm sorry (laughs) he just offers yeah sure and tells her that the ad will be in the paper tomorrow after jane leaves the clerk's uncredited colleague asks him who the hell (laughs) (laughs) who is that what who the hell's baby jane hudson (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who the fuck is Mantis Tabaka? <laughs> He's a doctor or something? I don't... Um, I did want to say I read that <laughs> in the novel, this motivation is much clearer for what Jane's doing. Yeah. Because it's after seeing Blanche's films on television and everyone's reaction to them uh-huh. that she's like, huh. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I kind of, I kind of figured that because she's, you know, who are all those people at the back yeah. door, you know? and Mrs. Bates? Yeah, she, <laughs> our neighbor. Um, Jane had been receiving all those letters. So yeah, yeah, I think the motivation's pretty clear that Jane's like, but me though, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, all right, I guess yeah. <laughs> some of us catch on to things quicker yeah, than others. I, didn't. <laughs> I just thought that when we joined the film in progress, Jane's like, no, I'm planning on revitalizing my career. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, that's just been a thing going on yeah. in the background. That was the day before yesterday. <laughs> she was waiting. She's like, I'm going to fucking do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the cameras rolled. Though. Yeah. <laughs> but back at the house, Blanche finishes what she was typing and reads it out loud. Please call Dr. Shelby at OL5 61656 and ask him to come here to the house immediately. She tears it from the platen on the typewriter and writes in pen, Under no circumstances, let my sister see the contents of this note. Blanche Hudson. Very kind of her to read everything to us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But she puts the paper in her mouth and heads over to the window. She balls it up and pulls herself up on the bars of her window, tossing it out to Mrs. Bates. The crumpled note rolls between the property lines in the wind. Meanwhile, Jane arrives home, stepping out of her car to meet Mrs. Bates in the driveway. Between them sits the balled-up letter, <laughs> but Blanche hides behind the drapes as to not be spotted in the window. So th- this is, again, this is the uh, the time i'm this is the one thing i do have a problem and i said it a little bit earlier but timing uh-huh you you're telling me that baby jane went to go do all this this running around you went looked at the <laughs> stairs turned around and was like no i gotta find something else a different way uh-huh typed out that letter wrote a little note on the end of it and it took you that whole time 
Well, it was a very detailed letter. <laughs> <laughs> she had she to had find to in the phone book. <laughs> She's like, what is Dr. Shelby's number? And she had, had to be gone a good 45 minutes well, she, at least. All the way to the city. Yeah. yeah. Newspaper office. Yeah. We watched that whole scene, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I mean. Or even I get the crumpling it up, make it an airplane. Hey. Like, hey, there you know. They, yeah. had, they had to have paper airplanes back then. I think they had airplanes. <laughs> of paper right? yeah made mostly of paper at the time it was the 60s no they yeah. had of course of course they did definitely yeah uh, my thing my thing as well is that i mean <laughs> she... <We're> actually... <laughs> it's another universe yeah i know well, was... well, what time is it set in it was 62 it was so, literally 60 did years ago they even have sisters yeah, back then? <laughs> <laughs> i think my thing as well is obviously <laughs> Blanche is she there's urgency here yeah but I would wait until I knew that Jane was inside throw the letter or you know Jane's coming home yeah yeah or I mean like kind of gauge no she's been gone for a while she's probably coming home soon so if I didn't do it the minute she left when Mrs. Bates was outside Uh when I was like help yeah whatever well she looks at her watch and she's like I've been writing this note for two hours (laughs) (laughs) What what the hell what the hell? <laughs> and, then, and now it's too late. It, but it happens again later. It it does. Does. A lot. I, have my, I have that in my notes later. Too. It's just kind of weird. But damn. No, it's that was fast. Yeah. <laughs> but Mrs. Bates asks Jane about the flowers she brought for Blanche and considering that they don't last very long this time of year, wondered if Blanche wanted some more of them. Mrs. Bates continues to go on about the necessity of flowers and how it's nice to have them in the house, but Jane picks up the crumpled letter, mm-hmm. coldly telling Mrs. Bates that if her sister wanted flowers in the house, they could afford to buy them. God damn, Jane. <laughs> 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 she shoves the paper into her purse and makes her way into her house. Blanche returns to the window and discovers that the letter is gone, but doesn't know who picked it up. She's overcome with worry as she settles back into her chair. But downstairs, Jane immediately unfolds the letter and reads it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, of course she does. But I think my thing is that how did she know that (laughs) it wasn't just trash? It's a big city. I don't know. I I agree. I thought the same thing for a second. I was like, you didn't know to take that fucking paper inside and open it. She's like, what is my sister writing and crumpling up and yeah. out the window? Like, she just seems to know everything. Yeah. She's like Jigsaw. She, she, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she literally said, do you really think there's anything that goes on in this house True. that I don't know about? But yeah, but that's... She told us. On. That's her luck. Oh, no, nope. <laughs> like, I, I mean, you can't get lucky all the time with everything. Well, if you're Jane Hudson. Yeah, I got <laughs> No, I don't Jane. know. She's yeah, got baby Jane. Yeah. Baby Sorry. Jane's got a lot of L's too. So, you yeah. know, she can take her luck where she can get it. Well, this one was a W. <laughs> <laughs> but at the Bates's house, Mrs. Bates snags a cigarette frantically and furiously. Liza asks her what's wrong and says it appears that she's been in a fight. And Mrs. Bates says that she isn't sure that she hasn't been in a fight. She says Jane Hudson makes her so mad that she could kill her. God damn. Okay. <laughs> Liza says that this is a good idea and asks what they would use. Damn. If I was Betty Davis, I'd be like, you said that a little too. Yeah. (laughs) 
I feel like you meant that a little bit. Was that in the script? <laughs> Did you add that to the script? <laughs> Mrs. Bates tries feverishly to light her cigarette, but stops to laugh at her daughter's remark. So it's like, at least some people are having fun. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> There's one good relationship yeah. in this. <laughs> the next door, Jane walks upstairs with Blanche's dinner on a tray as Blanche readies herself in her room to not look conspicuous at all when Jane opens the door. She seemingly passes the test, playing a game of solitaire when Jane enters and places her dinner tray next to her lunch tray. That was a cool little thing she had there that she was putting the yeah, cards in. I've yeah. never seen yeah. anything like that. Uh-uh. But Jane looks at the contents of the lunch tray, smirking and carrying it away. But she's stopped by Blanche, who asks her how her drive was. She says it's been a long time since they've had a real talk together about the future and everything else. She says she doesn't want Jane to be worried about the selling of the house because even if she does sell it, they're still going to live together. Jane tells her with certainty that she isn't going to sell the house. Their father bought this house and he bought it for Jane. Blanche says that Jane is wrong. She bought this house for the two of them to live in with her first contract. But her eyes do look a little shifty when she says this. Well, yeah, I don't because at the beginning, the the guys were saying that yeah that blanche had bought the house and that they were fixing it up and it'd be ready in a year uh-huh so i don't i don't know me neither is this the same house that's what i thought yeah that blanche bought yeah so then what is jane talking about maybe the truth i'm confused yeah <laughs> in they said in the book that it's very clear that blanche bought this house okay yeah. so it, it to me it does come off as a little ambiguous in this moment right yeah because blanche is like i bought the house and her eyes are like ceiling floor floor yeah <laughs> wall wall uh, ceiling ceiling. Floor, floor. it's like you're shifty well i mean yeah. the, the fact that it is up to blanche to get in contact with the people to give them the authority to sell it or whatever it have to be it, mm-hmm. it you know conveys that this is Blanche's house that it's in her name. Why are you looking so weird? <laughs> Why are you being so shifty? Yeah. Probably because of how the conversation went last yeah. time. Yeah. Okay, fair point. Last time she lost her phone. What the fuck else did she get? And she got served a bird. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's not <laughs> We forget. haven't talked about that yeah. in a while. Yeah. <laughs> let's At not all. forget. <laughs> yeah, I'd, be really. a little, I'd be a little gun shy as well. All right. I, I'd be mad as fuck still about my bird, though. Well, yeah. 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 But you gotta, you gotta tread lightly. Jane's yeah, right, pretty... Right. um. It's temperamental. Yeah. Uh, unpredictable. But Jane says that Blanche doesn't think she remembers, but there are a lot of things that she remembers. One of them being that Blanche never paid for this house. Baby Jane Hudson made the money that paid for this house. Blanche says that Jane doesn't know what she's saying, but Jane puts it plainly. And I I love this line so much. This is the way that Betty Davis <laughs> delivers it. <laughs> Jane says, Blanche you aren't ever going to sell this house and you aren't ever going to leave it either. <laughs> <laughs> it's that beat. Like, all right. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm so captivated by Betty Davis's performance that I don't realize the gravity of what she's just told her sister. Yeah. No, that's a threat. That's terrifying. Like, that is very, very scary. Yeah. I. This whole little, I'm like, you've got to do something now. Yeah. Now you have to. You're being told to your face what's going on. You're never leaving yeah. this house? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I understand the discussion of selling the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a little different. But that's much, yeah. much different. It's moved into new territory. Yeah. <laughs> but Jane stalks her way over to the window as shock rests on Blanche's face, but turns to face her sister. She asks Jane if she remembers when she first came back from the accident. 
Jane turns to face Blanche, looking very wounded, and telling her sister that she promised they were never going to talk about this again. Blanche says that she knows, but she's still in this chair. After all these years, she's still in this chair. She asks Jane if this gives her some kind of responsibility, and Jane turns away from her sister in one of the most iconic shots of the film. Mm -hmm. I love this shot. Blanche tells her that she's just trying to explain how things are, that Jane wouldn't be able to do these awful things to her if she wasn't still in this chair. Jane's demeanor changes from somber to a knowing smile. She turns around aggressively, shouting, But you are, Blanche! You are in that chair! She then asks about these awful things that she's done to her. I'm like, the bird? Yeah. <laughs> Jane, anybody? Yeah. You, you served me my bird. <laughs> Yesterday. That was the, <laughs> that's the meal that was just there. You pushed the bird aside. Yeah. <laughs> like, my letters. We, yeah. My flowers. Uh-huh. My, I can't talk to anybody. So much. Yeah, yeah. So much. You shut off the TV when I was watching it. Oh, which yeah. Is just, which is very yeah. rude. Our first entry to your our relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you mimicked me on the phone, which I really I don't appreciate that either. That's, Im- that's impolite. Yeah. <laughs> but Blanche changes her tone, saying that she just meant that Jane wouldn't have to work so hard. In fact, she's been thinking that Elvira could come in to help more often. Maybe she could even live with them. Jane says that they don't need Elvira. Blanche tries to reason with Jane, telling her that she gets so tired and that she isn't well but Jane just sits against a chair, twiddling her thumbs. And something kind of changes in Jane. She says that maybe Blanche is right. Maybe she should get a checkup. Blanche smiles, suggesting that they find a good doctor. Jane says, yeah, maybe they could get a hold of that Dr. Shelby. She reaches into her shirt, retrieving Blanche's note, asking, what's his number again? Fuck! Yeah. (laughs) Shit! (laughs) She places the note in Blanche's hands, scooping up the lunch tray and quoting from the letter. And under no circumstances, tell my sister the contents of this note. (sighs) Yeah. You know, we love the pettiness. Mm -hmm. I'm not co-signing or condoning anything that Jane has done or is going to do. Yeah. But the quoting of the note, That's, was that was chef's kiss. And that was from memory. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. As she kicks the bedroom door closed, she tells her sister that it isn't her that needs a doctor. Blanche just sits there, defeated, tossing the note away and bringing herself to her dinner tray. She goes to open the cloche, the music mounting suspensefully, but she can't do it. She tries again, the music meeting her every movement, but she still can't bring herself to open it. She cries. Understandably. And and now you can't trust anything that she brings you. Yeah. And she's your sole provider of food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is a a horrible place to be. Can we ask for a chef then? If Elvira can't be here, can we get somebody to come make the food? Uh, Just, (laughs) we need a change in staff. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta move some stuff (laughs) (laughs) But the next day, in a house somewhere else in the city... Edwin Flagg, played by Victor Buono, sits at his piano, playing away and chewing on a bite of his sandwich. His mother, Delia Flagg, played by Marjorie Bennett, arrives home just as Edwin begins perusing the personal ads and finding Jane's ad. Established star requires accompanist to work on songs and dance numbers for nightclubs, personal appearances, etc. Must be experienced and versatile musician. Call Miss Jane Hudson. 
I will say that the way he circled the ad stressed me out. I really <laughs> didn't like it, didn't appreciate it. <laughs> um, and also in the taking out of this ad, Jane had some really high hopes. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. playing in the clubs. They're, I mean, they're doing everything. Etc. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But he does circle her phone number and then he draws a very rough square around the ad. The square was fine. It was the circling that it was half crossing it out, half circling it. He can't even read it. I like it. I just didn't like it. But he begins playing again, but stops when his mother enters the room. She tells him not to stop playing on her account, but he asks her about her doctor's appointment. She tells him that he told her that there's no use in trying to go back to work for another six months. Edwin looks disappointed and asks if they gave her anything new to take, but the doctor didn't. Delia says that the doctor says that it's her arthritis and it just has to clear up. Edwin asks if the doctor has suggested what they're going to use for money in the meantime, but Delia assures him that they have a bit of savings and calls him her little warrior. I said warrior, but I meant warrior. Because <laughs> that's what she actually said. That is in the script. <laughs> For the film and also my script. <laughs> <laughs> I just screwed up. Um, I was like, oh, that's sweet. I, I don't remember, remember that. that. <laughs> was it a deleted scene? Or? <laughs> what version did you watch? <laughs> but she sees the personal ads and gets excited that her son has found something. But he tells her to calm down because she hasn't even seen what it is yet. She tells him it's a possibility and that there aren't many jobs that would be suitable for someone with his qualifications. He answers her, mimicking her English accent very cruelly, and he says, what qualifications? Like, it's so rude. He's so fucking mean to his mom, yeah. and especially, like, something he tells her later. I'm oh, like, yeah. dude, what the fuck? <laughs> and she... I don't care that you're twice my height at this point. <laughs> like, absolutely fucking not. One thing you're not going to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not in this fucking house. I don't think so. Um, the, his whole character is something else. Yeah. Um, but he's he's mean as fuck to his mom. Mm-hmm. He's he's a little rude. I but I thought he's he, like he's saying it like himself because she's telling him your qualifications and he's like like what what am I good at? Well, don't mimic her to no, her face. I know, but I <laughs> to mean- her face. <laughs> just do it behind her back. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, yeah. It's very rude. <laughs> it was. It was rude. But she says serious music and that, and says that this sounds like just the ticket for him. But Delia asks if he's going to call them, and after mimicking her accent once more, he has another idea. Why doesn't she call them for him and pretend to be his secretary? They sit down together, and she does just that as he lights her cigarette for her. The phone rings downstairs at the Hudson home, and Jane sits down to answer it. She's excited to hear that it's a call about the ad, Delia taking the role of Mr. Flagg's secretary and confirming an appointment for 4 p.m. that same day. Jane smiles as she gets off the phone, as does Delia, who squeezes her son's cheek, proud to have fixed everything. I'm sure he just the, she's happy he got a job. Well, I mean, he's he's uh, he's trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he he's very mean. And she just takes it. It's it's almost the same thing with um, Blanche and yeah. Jane. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of just like a, you know, familial drama, like on both sides. Yeah. yeah. But just then Blanche begins pressing her buzzer again. Jane's screaming for her to shut up, but heading upstairs to find Blanche in her bed. 
Blanche asks her who was on the phone, but Jane says that it's none of her business and asks what she was ringing for. Blanche says that she's hungry, and Jane tells her, of course she's hungry. She didn't eat her dinner last night. Blanche says that Jane forgot to bring her breakfast this morning, but Jane says that she didn't forget to bring her breakfast. She didn't bring her breakfast because she didn't eat her din-din. Not Dendin. That's yeah. bitch. I'm starving. <laughs> yeah. That is way too playful for how hungry I am right now. Literally. Yeah, I can't believe this. You're so cruel. Yeah, yeah. And Jane just cackles. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm sitting here like, no, you bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm hungry. Why? It's, it's horrible. Cruel. Like there's no other word for yeah. it. But Jane says that they're right back to where they started. Back when Jane was on the stage. Blanche had to depend on her for everything, including the food she ate. So it's exactly like she said. They're back to where they started. But they were kids. Your parents did that. Your sister didn't do that to you. Well, no. No. She's She's not forcing you to work or to have dolls of you or whatever. That was your dad. She's like, but I saw you angry in the wings (laughs) that one time. (laughs) And you didn't want that ice cream cone. (laughs) But Blanche is paying for their life now. Yeah. So even if... Jane is the one bringing her the food. Blanche is paying for the food. Like, I yeah. mean, if you want a nickel and dime and get down to it, that's what's happening. Yeah, but to Jane, she paid for the house. So where would we even be eating if it wasn't for me? But Jane probably didn't pay for the house. Now, that's not important yeah. to Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Jane has no recollection of that. <laughs> but Blanche shouts at Jane, asking why she's doing this to her making her afraid to eat and trying to make her starve. Jane tells her not to be silly, saying that if she starved, she would die, and remarks that Blanche really must be sick. But Blanche tells her seriously, if something were to happen to her, they wouldn't have any money. No one to sign the checks, not even pocket money for Jane to have. Jane admits that she's thought of that, but asks again why Blanche didn't eat her dinner. Blanche answers that she was afraid to, but Jane lifts the lid from the meal, snagging a lamb chop and taking a bite. She tells her sister that there's nothing wrong with it and that Blanche is just a neurotic. She's like, mm. the, the <laughs> psychological mind games, yes. yeah. especially pertaining to food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's evil. Also, we're really glossing over the fact that <laughs> Blanche is like, if I'm dead, you won't have any more money. And Jane's like, yeah, I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Why, yeah. Why, are you, <laughs> why, why are you thinking about that? I don't know. We yeah. just let that go. Like, we just, just, we're like, yeah, whatever. She just the lamb a, chops. A day old lamb chop. Yeah. Like. <laughs> she's just, she's snacking on it. But <laughs> Blanche pulls herself onto her chair as Jane stares out the window at Liza, who offers a good morning to a returning Elvira. Jane steals the dinner tray away as Blanche follows her, begging her for something to eat. It's heartbreaking because when Jane is eating the food, mm-hmm. Blanche looks so excited that yeah. the food is okay yeah. to eat. And as soon as she can get over there, Jane's like, yoink. Yeah. Like, it's it's horrible. Yeah. Jane stops at the door, telling her she didn't finish her din-din, so she'll have to wait until lunchtime, and closes the door behind her. Blanche rests distraught against the doorknob, then frantically searches around the room with her eyes before nervously chewing her finger. I think the hunger has found her. (laughs) (laughs) She's eating her finger? Yeah. I mean, there's a TV show that I've been watching where this isn't out of norm. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't out of norm. (laughs) 
But Jane meets Elvira in the kitchen, greeting her and setting down the tray. Out of character, Jane apologizes to Elvira for the way that she treated her yesterday, saying that she was just not herself. She was unkind and she wants to make it up to her. Jane says that she's cleaned the house already and wants to not only give Elvira the day off, but she also gives her $15 for a day's work. Elvira asks if Blanche knows about this, and Jane says that she does. This concludes Elvira's line of questioning. She's like, all right. I'm, that's surprising. Yeah. The, the fact that Jane said she was out of character yesterday when yesterday seemed to align with who we know Jane to be, mm-hmm. today you're being out of character. Precisely. Right. Um, I, if I were Elvira and what Blanche and I had just talked about yesterday and the way that Jane was acting yesterday, I would think that she had killed Blanche. Honestly. That's literally what I would think. Yeah. Was that either she had disposed of her or Blanche was upstairs dead. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, no, get out of here. Yeah, right Love now. Love you. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like being... <laughs> Sugary sweet, which is not Jan Jan <laughs> Jane's brand, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just remembering you laughing at me earlier, but yeah, you know, I was kinder to you. Yeah. <laughs> just want everyone to know that. <laughs> Swear to God, I'll bury you. <laughs> but I thought the same thing. You know her. Why would you that? Why would this be okay? And to just take the fifteen dollars and be like, all right, yeah, sure. And what's more like bothersome to me is that she says that she'll see her next Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And Jane tells her to have a good time. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No matter how, no matter what day this is, even if it's Friday. Yeah. That's a while. And like you said, you would think that she killed her. You acting this way would be like, oh, that confirms it. Something's wrong. Seriously. Why are you being so nice? Yeah. We don't even look at each other. Nope. No. But they say their goodbyes, but Elvira stands outside confused for a moment before leaving. Jane just smirks in the kitchen as Blanche heads out into the hallway upstairs. After a moment, she just heads back into her room. But later, as Blanche knits feverishly in bed, she hears a clatter downstairs. She pulls herself to her chair as Jane heads upstairs to bring her lunch. Jane sets the tray down, and Blanche asks her who was at the door earlier. Jane tells her that it was Elvira, and Blanche's mood improves immediately, asking if Elvira's in the kitchen. Jane says that she isn't because she gave her the day off. She'll be back next week. Blanche deflates and turns her attention to her lunch tray. Before Jane leaves, she remarks, Blanche, did you know we have rats in the cellar? Why? Why are you... Why are we talking about that right now? I don't know. <laughs> Why did you feel the yeah. need to bring up rats right now? Just conversation. Mm. <laughs> Jane leaves the room, putting her back to a nearby wall in the hallway. Blanche looks on fearfully, almost in disbelief at her lunch tray, whispering, no. She approaches it cautiously as the music grows suspenseful. She lifts the lid revealing, resting on a bed of tomatoes. Jane really loves this bed of tomatoes. Yeah. She's got the presentation <laughs> down. And on the side, there's also a pad of butter. Oh, <laughs> all, garnish, know, right? We all like to... It's a dead rat. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I should tell you. No. I thought I should reveal what it is to everyone. To everyone listening right now. But it is well plated. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, she'd get a 10 for plating. Yeah. Now the but, meal itself. Nah, not good. <laughs> yeah. 
I would not recommend this. <laughs> no. no. Would not. Zero out of ten. No, no, no. no. It, there's Do no, not recommend. Mm-mm. You can't improve it. You can't. Yeah. What no. the fuck, no. though? This is not my father made rat. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Rat. <laughs> Blanche reacts with disgust, groaning in horror and pushing the tray off the desk. Jane laughs so loudly, throwing her hand over her mouth, then heading into her bedroom where she closes the door and laughs louder and freer. Yeah, she's loving it. Yes. It is funny. None of this is funny. This is torture. This is abuse. This is awful. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she served it and then went around the corner and waited to hear a scream. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking evil, no, dude. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Now, when I say when I talk when I talk about this movie being fun in some ways, it's it's down to Betty Davis's performance. Yeah. yeah, her performance of this scene is a lot of fun. What's happening is of not. Of course yeah. not. Blanche is like, come on, you got to do something. <laughs> something. Like the, the, yeah. First, your bird. Uh huh. Now this rat. A random ass rat. Your phone. Uh huh. Your mail. Mm hmm. Your plants. Your note. Your friend, yeah, your note. Your TV. Yeah, the TV. Well, the TV. <laughs> I'm still, I was really mean. <laughs> it was mean. I think my thing that makes me laugh about this is that Jane laughs in the hallway. She realizes she shouldn't be, goes to her bedroom, closes the door, laughs out loud, yeah. and you can hear it throughout the entire house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Going to the room did nothing. No. At all. Because Blanche hears the laughter echoing throughout the house, and in an overhead shot, spins in her chair, crumbling into sobs, herself a rat in a cage with nowhere to go. Poor Blanche. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at 4 p.m. that day, Edwin arrives at the Hudson home dressed in a suit. This is when I'm like, oh... That wasn't even Jane's whole day. No. <laughs> she oh. has an appointment at four. <laughs> Thank you. That's what, what, yeah. That's what I was going to say earlier when they, y- y'all were like, this is yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday? Or like, what? Well, which yesterday? Because Well, if you think about it, whenever she went to the newspaper place, they were like, we'll have the ad in the paper tomorrow. Yeah. And so tomorrow came and then he read the ad. So I mean, it's been today. at least. Yeah. It's been at least two days now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because when she called, she they were like 4 p.m. today. Uh-huh. So then she made a rat lunch and then now she has a meeting. All right. All right. Okay. So bird <laughs> dinner or bird breakfast or whatever. <laughs> There's, look, it's been a lot of there. It's been at least three days. You can't fit all this in there. Yeah, there's no <laughs> way. Impossible. There's been no. too many sabotaged meals. For yes. <laughs> but inside the house, Jane sits in the kitchen, cleaning ornate and extravagant tea kettles with her hair done up and appearing almost as she did when she was baby Jane in 1917. She pauses to take a shot of liquor, but stops altogether when Edwin rings the doorbell. She notices the time and pours herself one more shot before answering. She makes sure she looks her best, as does Edwin outside, and when Jane opens the door, he introduces himself. Jane does as well, and they both seem a little disappointed to see each other in person. It's very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what Edwin was expecting. I don't know what Jane was expecting. I don't know, but they both do seem disappointed, and it's just weird mm-hmm. yeah i didn't understand what i was like what i feel i honestly feel like i'm very confused by edwin's motivations as things continue 
Yeah. Because the way he treats Jane, but then the way that he talks to his mother about Jane. That part. It very it's very I don't know what's happening. Yeah. That confused me in a way that I didn't really pick up on until we watched it for the show. Mm-hmm. I think that Edwin is trying to get that bag. I think that Edwin was being taken care of by his mother mm-hmm. and his mother can't work right now. So Edwin is trying to get taken care of by someone. Okay. I think that that's his motivation. And that's why later on it's weird because it seems like yeah. something else almost. Because his mother has okay. a clear idea of what she thinks. Yeah. It's a job, right? That's why she's like, you're qualified, you know. Yeah, well, for now. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it changes. Yeah. But Edwin goes to shake her hand, but he realizes that he's holding his handkerchief and pulls it back. He steps inside backwards, bumping his head on the chandelier, and Jane invites him into the living room. Jane confirms that he is, in fact, Edwin Flagg and offers him some tea. Edwin, speaking in an English accent that he did not have before. Yeah. At all. He's classing it up. He says that he's very fond of tea (laughs) and that she must have guessed that he's English. Yeah. It's like, all right. (laughs) What? Tone it down. A little too heavy, I think. (laughs) Reel it in. Right. You must have noticed that I was Southern. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how? How could you have known? What? But from her bedroom door, Blanche watches a giddy Jane head into the kitchen and comes out into the hall to peer down the stairs. Edwin surveys the house, looking at old pictures of Jane when she was a child and stepping over to the staircase, which prompts Blanche to hide behind the wall. I'd be like, she's feeding me birds and rats. Help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sir! I'm, I'm very afraid that I look, I feel like I yell out and then he gets like psychoed like yeah oh, okay like that's it or miseried You're precisely or mod ah. dare i say <laughs> i mean all right <laughs> i mean i, I guess <laughs> but after seeing edwin down there blanche goes to call out to him but retreats when jane returns from the kitchen with a cart edwin offers to help with the cart and they make small talk about how he got here as they head into the living room again Edwin keeps up with the fake accent as Jane pours him a cup of tea and offers him a plate of finger sandwiches, telling him that she always thinks it's nice to break bread with strangers. Edwin agrees, snatching the entire plate of sandwiches for himself. That was hilarious. Because <laughs> yeah. he goes and sits and he's just eating this. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> the look on Jane's face is like, uh, okay. All right. Like, I guess these I'm are not. mine, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where's your plate of finger sandwiches? <laughs> of like 30 sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> Each guest gets 30 sandwiches, correct? That's. <laughs> but as he sits down to eat them all, he asks about Jane's act, and she tells him that she was retired for a while, taking care of a sick family member. But now, Edwin finishes, she's free to return to her profession. He says that he takes it that she's a soloist or plays some kind of instrument. But Jane just smiles at him and says that she wonders if he can guess who she is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Every time this happens, you get so nervous. I don't hate it. <laughs> Edwin asks for a hint, and Jane tells him that honestly, it wouldn't be fair to make him guess, and reveals that she is Baby Jane Hudson. Edwin reacts with vague realization, asking if she's really the Baby Jane Hudson, and Jane says that she is. She's planning to revive her act exactly as she used to do it but she admits that some of the arrangements will need to be brought up to date considering how quickly music changes. 
But she says that everyone is desperate for new acts. Television, Las Vegas, all the clubs. And there will be a lot of people who remember her. I was wondering if Jane Hudson predicted like nostalgia baiting and in, <laughs> in entertainment <laughs> is is the Force Awakens like, Jane's fault? They're gonna love this shit. <laughs> but Edwin says that he doesn't see how she could fail, which warms Jane's heart. She sits down next to him, telling him that she kind of had a feeling the minute she opened the door and saw him there, she knew that they were going to be friends. She says that she's also been thinking about costumes and says that she took some of her old ones down to be copied, asking if he thinks that that's a good idea. He tells her that it is, but he also tells her that he doesn't quite remember. And Jane realizes that he's too young to remember and tells him that she does want his opinion, though, and says that he can look at all her scrapbooks in the rehearsal room. Edwin is up for it, and Jane looks at him sincerely, saying that she wishes Daddy could be here to see this. That would scare me really i wish daddy could be that's i don't know man i think it's the way she says it i don't think think it's like like there's a difference between i wish my father could be here for this and i wish daddy could be like that's like scary i would be scared it's betty davis the way she says it i think whatever it is that's scary and the (laughs) fact that you were baby jane and you're getting your costumes from when you were 10 remade to that's fucking this is delusional it's scary i would be like yeah you go ahead and set up for us and i'm scrambling out of the back door but how would they know who she is if she's not wearing the costume (laughs) 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 i mean i mean you gotta think logically here (laughs) plus he had that whole tray of sandwiches he's he's like what else you got (laughs) yeah I mean, let's see. Let's see what she's what she does. I don't know, man. This see where is it goes. so. Yeah. It's so awkward. I I would be kind of scared. She does not seem. She seems a little. Um, she seems a little loose on her interpretation of reality. <laughs> I'll just say that. Well, let's. What's what song you want to sing? <laughs> <laughs> let's see that. Well, on the cool though too, when he was looking around the house when he first got there, he seemed a little uneasy. Uh, like he was looking around, like he was a little uncomfortable. Because he, he should be. No, yeah. <laughs> well, he stayed. So. It's a new place. You know? Yeah, he's never been here before. It's interesting. It's a lot of character to the house. It's got good bones. <laughs> I'm scared. That's all I'm There's saying. A porcelain doll over there. Yeah. I don't know what that's for. But there's a captive sister upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's a big house. It's got everything. <laughs> but Jane reminisces on something that her father used to tell her: "You can never lose your talent. You can lose everything, but you can never lose your talent." She then drags Edwin into the rehearsal room taking him through the scrapbooks. Just as soon as she starts to tell him a story of one of the pictures, Blanche enters the chat with the sustained buzz. You know, I don't mean to take us back. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we going? (laughs) I think... I think it's the the lack of the word my. Nay! (laughs) We're over this! (laughs) Give me... Get past that. <laughs> it's uh, she's calling him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if it was just if my daddy were here. That's different. That's different than if daddy were here. Right? I mean, I guess so. But I feel like showbiz kids do that, right? I can't. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's this is like a <laughs> common thing. Showbiz show kids. kids. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're gonna Just pass out, dude. <laughs> Just continue. <Okay>. Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Jane excuses herself as the buzzing continues, heading to Blanche's bedroom and ripping the buzzer out of the wall, telling her that she always has to spoil everything. We can hear you. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's a big house, but it's not that big. Yeah. Blanche tries to ask who is down there, but before she can even get the sentence out, Jane tells her that she has a friend down there who is here to see her, and he doesn't even know who Blanche is. He doesn't even know she exists. She says that that must bother Blanche, but Blanche says the opposite, that she has always wanted Jane to have friends. Jane asks why she never had any of them then, and Blanche says that maybe she wasn't, uh, maybe she was too independent. I feel like a lot of it could be the way that you're acting right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. Yeah. <laughs> Not crowd-pleasing behavior. No, you're, you're hurting my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly. But Jane says that that wasn't it and that Blanche always stopped her. Blanche says that she isn't anymore and that she's pleased to see that Jane has made a friend. That's what she needs. In fact, she was hoping that she could meet him and that they could have a chat, just the three of them. Jane isn't buying it at all, though, and says that all Blanche would do is tell him a ton of lies about her and scare him off or have him for herself. She slaps Blanche across the face and heads back downstairs. What shocks me more than anything is because, okay, this whole thing is going on. This very loud argument. Yeah. Edwin continues looking through the scrapbook, setting his sights on the music book for I've written a letter to daddy and begins fubbling away on it on the piano. Yeah. When Jane returns, he's not like, did I just hear you slap somebody yeah. upstairs? Literally. Or yell at somebody. Yeah. Or because again, and we watched this a few months ago when I had you watch it yeah, for the yeah. first time. I still gasped when she slapped her. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, oh my fuck. Like it escalate. Like. Obviously, she's been torturing her the whole film, but the slap, it really took it to a whole other level. I think because from from the start of the film, it's been emotional and psychological. Right. It has not been physical yet. Yeah. And so you are right. It is escalating. I was like, oh my God. Plus, I didn't think about that until you mentioned it right now, but he is at the bottom of the stairs right there. Yes. Yeah. Like you could hear everything. And that was loud. Yeah. And All she was of it. yelling at her. Yeah. <laughs> And someone rang that buzzer. He heard the buzzer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know that someone's up there. So you got bees in this house? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what song you want to (laughs) play? But Jane rounds the corner with an earnest look on her face. And when there's a lull in the piano, Jane begins to sing the song that Edwin is playing. Edwin smiles, telling her it's wonderful and joins her again with the piano. Blanche listens in horror and confusion upstairs as I've written a letter to daddy begins again. Jane turning on the lights and performing the choreography in the mirror as she sings along. She sings the song with her entire heart, raspy and somewhat off key, Edwin reacting a little uneasily at times. When she finishes singing, Edwin continues playing and Jane sends kisses to heaven, reaching out her hand and dancing alone the dance that she used to share with her father. It's almost like she's regressed again to being a child 
Um, Blanche and Edwin, their facial expressions are both giving, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Like, they're both very uneasy, even though Edwin was like, oh, you're doing great. Like, whatever. Mm -hmm. He's like, what the fuck? Like, his face, he looks very disturbed. Yeah. He's like, just do it for the story, Edwin. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this, it's, it's incredibly upsetting. The whole, this whole thing and the fact that you can go upstairs and verbally berate and physically attack your sister and then just come downstairs and be like, with the bitch <laughs> rubber, rubber. like that is a, that's depraved. Yeah. Like that's wild. It is. I don't know if Edwin, like, cause, cause I, I've been thinking about what you said earlier. Maybe he is trying to just find someone to take care of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's, cause he does seem uncomfortable a few times, yeah, yeah. but he, he doesn't give a shit. No, and as it continues, he he, he keeps coming back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so none of this is fuck? too off-putting. Yeah, he <laughs> <It> does. Yeah, <laughs> but I did want to point out there's a great shot of the lights on the ground, and it kind of surrounds Jane like a stage here. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the other one that I wanted to talk about. That did look cool. Very. I did notice that, and I was like, all right, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. But Edwin watches as Jane cuts a rug as if it were 1917, (laughs) but then rejoins Edwin for the finale, belting out, I've written a letter to daddy saying, I love you. Edwin finishes with a flourish and puts his hand to his mouth as Jane curtsies for her imaginary audience. He then applauds her performance and they compliment each other's ability to play and sing. There was something in Betty Davis's performances, especially this one, that was so tragic to me because mm-hmm. it seemed almost as if I think that's what gets me about this is it seems almost as if she has to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there is an urgency and almost a necessity in her singing this song. Oh, mm-hmm. it's desperate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just I don't know. There's so that's why, again, it's not just as over the top like, oh, my God, she's so melodramatic or whatever. Yeah. She is putting so much character work into this everything. Yeah. yeah. It's remarkable. But Jane says that she can see that Edwin has done this type of work before, but he says that he hasn't. He usually spends his time on serious music, composing and whatnot. Jane is excited to hear that this is his first brush with show business, but he tells her that that isn't exactly true either. His father used to be an actor. Jane posits that she might have worked with him, but Edwin doesn't imagine so, as his father passed away a very long time ago and was more of a classical actor, Shakespeare and the like. Jane commiserates with him, having lost her father at a young age as well. She says that they used to say that her father could have been a success too, and that he was also a musician who played piano and banjo. I think they said in the novel that both of their parents passed away in the, I think it was the flu in 1918. Okay. Oh, shit. And so it's basically the year after the first scene that we see in the film. Yeah. Oh, all right, all right. But Edwin steps over to look at himself in the mirror, telling Jane that his father was British, of course, and he was never really given a chance in Hollywood. But Jane shuts the lights off and he turns around to face her, smiling. I did appreciate the symbolism that as soon as somebody else starts utilizing the mirror, she shuts the lights off. Yeah, this is mine. Yeah, this is not for you. He says that his father was stuck playing menial parts, butlers and such, and he doesn't think that his mother ever really appreciated what he was trying to do. Jane understands, though. She says it's very hard for an artist when people don't understand. She goes on to continue, but Edwin interrupts her saying that he's tried to explain to her that in the way of serious music, you must have the right atmosphere. 
He says, of course, Delia can't understand that. Jane asks who that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Edwin tells her that you might not think it to look at her, but Delia is his mother. She hasn't seen no, him. No, yeah. I don't know why. I'm so confused. This is all weird, like, though, right? It's like, strange. Yeah. I don't know why. I he's... feel like no, neither of y'all have ever talked to a person. <laughs> well, because they're interrupting each other. Yeah. And, like, just, it's weird. But it's just strange to me that he's acting like Jane met his mother earlier. Yeah. She never saw her, even. No. And when she talked to her on the phone, that wasn't supposed to be his mom. That was supposed to be his secretary. Oh, yeah. So, so you should have that. no idea yeah. who he's like, I lied. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have a secretary. <laughs> but Jane just laughs, relieved, saying that for a minute she thought that he had a wife or a lady friend tucked away somewhere. Edwin just laughs it off, but asks how much she's thinking of paying him. Jane says that she's not sure, but settles on $100. A week, of course. Edwin tries to hide his joy with his hand over his face, but tells her that it would be very fair. Jane stands in front of him, reflected in a neat shot in the mirror, telling him that she doesn't really like to talk about money. Edwin says that he doesn't either, as it's not important, not like relationships between people. But he says that the thing is, is he's going to have to move out and give up his pupils, so he wants to know for sure, and asks her when she wants him to start and when she'd let him have some money. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You just said it wasn't important. It's kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> we all say things, you yeah. know? Jane admits that she has to take care of some family matters first. Not the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> but she says that it'll take a week, and then they could get started right away. Edwin continues to stare at her, frozen like a fucking wax museum, until she says that she'll pay him first thing Wednesday, a month in advance. Edwin springs to life with a clap, excited that the deal is done. The way that he was looking at her was very rude. Yeah. Well, because she's like, I need to get some affairs in order. And he's like, but money now. Like, yeah. that's how he's looking at her. So, I mean, I don't. It's Here is because he was already being a dick to his mom mm -hmm. earlier when we meet him. This is when I'm like, oh, this motherfucker is shady. You're yeah. shady. Yeah. Because he seemed, I mean, even if he was looking a little uneasy, that could have just been his honest reaction to what was happening. Because right, he yeah. should look uneasy because this is fucking weird. All of this is weird. <laughs> it is. I so, mean, it's her act. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like it? Yeah. <laughs> he's a little judgmental to yeah. call someone's act weird. And she hasn't done it in a while. This is really practice. <laughs> You're critiquing a rehearsal? Anyway. <laughs> Right, she's giving it her best. Yeah, he's know. shady. He's no, he shady. is. He is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> but he was still too though. Like when she was when she was saying about the lady friend and all that. What does that matter? I think that she. I think she is kind of having a little crush on him. It sure seems that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that whenever she moved over to him on the couch, she did look like uh, seem suddenly interested. Yeah, and she did when she was talking to Blanche say that, oh, you're just going to take him for yourself. Yeah. So, all right, all right. And, you know, knowing now what we learned um, earlier regarding uh, their run-in in 1935. Yeah. How much of Betty Davis was in that oh. speech. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> I mean. That's harsh, man. That was the context of our super long introduction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is a little weird, right? <laughs> Once again, if you stayed, thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate it a lot. But as Jane walks him towards the staircase, she says that they should go out to dinner to celebrate. What about tonight? 
Edwin says that he promised his mo- Delia that he would be home for dinner. So maybe another time. It's like you already told her I everything. About, yeah. I was about to say, why are you still trying <laughs> <Yeah>. to be- <laughs> My secretary. I'm supposed to eat dinner with my secretary. <laughs> Thank you. You just I, said. I promised yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> but in her excitement, Jane offers to drive him home. On the staircase, she tells him that she's so sure that everything's going to work out great for both of them. She seems to want to hug or kiss him, but instead she just skips up the stairs gleefully. As the engine starts downstairs, Blanche, who I almost forgot was basically being held up there. Yeah. yeah. It's funny too, because she's like, I'm just going to go change. I'm only going to be a second. And I thought that she was going to go upstairs and something else was going to happen. Oh. But she scampers upstairs and then they're in the car leaving. So yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> She's mind. literally just getting no, dressed. Without yeah. incident. Okay, cool. I think Betty Davis's performance was just so captivating. I literally forgot about Blanche altogether. Yeah. For a second. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. That whole thing. It's like, oh. Yeah. Like, I'm sad again. Yeah. All over. But Blanche hears Jane's car pulling out of the driveway, and we see Jane and Edwin in the car together, remarking about the pleasantness of the neighborhood as they speed away. Knowing that she's alone in the house now, Blanche makes her way to Jane's room, rifling through an empty candy box for food, only to find a full one in Jane's desk. She tucks into it greedily, smacking noises clearly added in post. (laughs) (laughs) We love the piped in eating sounds. (laughs) But she she does look satisfied. (laughs) It was like the wheezing and eating. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We can't do that on the day. We gotta post, post. But underneath the box, Blanche finds an old autographed photo of herself with her face scratched out alongside a piece of paper that clearly shows repeated attempts of Jane trying to forge Blanche's signature. You can't even look at my face while you're forging my signature. That's cruel. Like, you hate (laughs) me, hate me. Like, you fucking hate me. (laughs) That's crazy. Well, maybe it was guilt. She's like, I'm stealing from her. (laughs) I I don't think it was guilt. The eyes are watching me. (laughs) I can't can't do it. (laughs) But underneath that, Blanche finds her checkbook. And everything seems in order until she finds a check made out today to the tune of almost $94 to Western Costume. And in the notes is written, for new act. (laughs) (laughs) Blanche is flabbergasted. Yeah. (laughs) She's still ain't going to do nothing about it. I well, laughed though because it's like how blatant. Yeah, <laughs> you don't you don't need to write she a note. No. <laughs> she didn't no. anyone else to see it. That was for her. But we then cut to Jane dropping Edwin off at his home, telling him that they're going to be a great team. Edwin concurs and, with an incredibly fake English accent, tells her, "I'll see you Wednesday." <laughs> <laughs> but back at the Hudson home. Blanche eyes the telephone on the first floor again, peering down the stairs and realizing that she has no choice now but to reach it. With all her courage, she pulls herself onto the banister. Painstakingly and agonizingly, Blanche pulls herself down step by step. Jane, however, arrives at Western Costume, whimsical music playing as she heads inside the shop. The dichotomy of what they're going through is a lot. I'd be fucked. I have no upper body strength. I was sweating for Blanche during this mm-hmm. whole thing. Like oh, yeah. I it's it's so sad and and mean and unfair. But then you immediately cut to Jane just living her absolute best fucking life. Yeah. yeah. Picking up her <laughs> costumes, you know, just running around town. Uh-huh. It's not fair, man. 
No, but I mean, she's got to she's got to do Baby Jane. She needs those costumes. This is very important yeah. for the new act. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How will they know who she is? Yeah. <laughs> We've established this. I did want to say this back and forth of like the tension and suspense. Yeah. Again, misery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You know, but finally at the bottom of the stairs and drenched in sweat, Blanche collapses to the floor. But Jane has collected her costumes, loaded them into the back of the car and is heading home. Blanche drags herself over to the phone, pulls it down by the cord onto a nearby chair, and dials a number. Meanwhile, Jane backs the car into the garage, but Blanche has connected to a nurse in Dr. Shelby's office, played by Dorothea Lord, asking frantically for the doctor himself. The nurse reluctantly connects her to Dr. Shelby, played by Robert Cornthwaite, who asks her what seems to be the trouble. She begs him for help, just as Jane enters the kitchen, holding her new costumes. I was so stressed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every time. It's like, oh, just, I don't know. <laughs> Talk faster or something. I've, I'll let you finish the scene. And okay. then I do, wanna, I do want to say something. Okay. In a POV shot, Jane's hand pushes the door open to reveal Blanche huddled over the phone, just as she tells Dr. Shelby, it's about my sister. Blanche attempts to describe Jane's behavior, telling him that he needs to come to the house right away. Shelby asks if it's an emotional disturbance, and Blanche repeats, yes, Jane is emotionally disturbed. Not only that, she's wild. I feel like you could have just said yes. Yeah. And not, Jane is a fucking monster. You know what I mean? But at the same time, she was like, and call Dr. Shelby Blanche Hudson earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean. She, you know, (laughs) rephrase it in a complete sentence. Got it. That might help. But Shelby asks if Jane is violent and Blanche emphatically says that she is. Of course, this is when Blanche notices Jane standing in the room with her and grows sheepish. Shelby hears Blanche muttering and stuttering into nothing and says that they aren't getting very far like this and that he'll come over. You're already caught. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Call the police. She's here. She's going to hurt me. Yeah. You're already caught. She already heard you talking shit. <laughs> I'm not talking yeah. shit. No, like you, it's all true. Calling for yeah. help. <laughs> <laughs> You're already caught. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? This is your one. And the doctor's like, I mean, he's just so... He fucking pissed me off. No, he pisses me off a lot in a minute. Yeah. I. This whole little thing, and I know I said it earlier again... You took this man home. You went and picked up your costumes. You were fucking <laughs> dancing around with them. You took that long to find those checkbooks, eat a chocolate, and then go make a phone call? <laughs> I think eat a chocolate. You were gone. Jane was gone for three hours this time. I think Jane just breaks records running her errands. <laughs> She's the fastest person That's alive. That's me. I'm just trying to get back home. Yes, dude. I'm like speed walking through the <laughs> through fucking H-E-B. Like, you don't even know me. I'm a blur. <laughs> <laughs> you're a ghost I'm like, yeah i think a phantom just came in and bought some coffee or something His shelves are missing items i don't <laughs> but i never saw anything yeah. <laughs> but it is the time is so funny because jane is lightning fast doing everything yeah <laughs> and blanche like anything she does takes forever it is and you're right like, even throwing the note out the window yeah yeah but I, I think that it's just logically, no. Yeah. But for the film, you're like, okay, the suspense. Yeah. Because yeah. if Jane wasn't on her way home immediately, if she's taking real time at the costume shop, 
She's like, well, this button's a little, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know. Are you ready for a try this off? Uh, yeah. Like, and the doctor would have been waiting for exactly. her. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. She's like, hi, I'm Doctor Shelby, or whatever. And then <laughs> it's it's a different movie, right? <laughs> it's a much less sad movie. Yeah. <laughs> but Blanche tries to think fast and tell Jane that it was someone else on the phone. But Jane heard everything and says she knows what Blanche is trying to do. Jane proceeds to kick her sister in the face and after the, she just kicks the shit out of her all the all, throughout the entire living room yeah, yeah. No, she's whooping her ass like yeah. it's bad it's unbelievable i will say that it's clear when a doll is there well, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's frightening because she has just graduated to just violence oh yeah, yeah. The, the escalation is staggering and i'm assuming that this is where betty davis allegedly kicked joan crawford in the head yeah, yeah I would which imagine is what so. she was accused <laughs> of there was the the what the rumor of stitches and stitches and her saying oh, i sh- i barely touched her did she really kick the shit out of her that's what they're saying they they yeah. <laughs> that's what has been alleged yeah. yes they talk a lot don't they, <laughs> they do. <laughs> but afterward jane sits down next to the telephone and calls up dr shelby once she gets him on the phone, in her best Blanche impression, she lies that Jane has decided to go with another doctor. We got off the phone. A second ago. Two, two seconds ago. Yeah. And we got off the phone very strangely. Mm-hmm. And I was stammering and mm-hmm. trailing off and frantic. Mm-hmm. And now I'm calm and cool as a fucking cucumber and being like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Everything's fine. You're a fucking idiot. I this think, doctor is an idiot. The worst part about it is Shelby goes, well, if Jane's decided to go with another doctor, I mean... Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. She should She should come back as Jane and be like, I can't believe this is working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is unbelievable. You should have your license. You know what? Yeah. You were, you were no unqualified shit. to handle me anyway. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I don't want anybody going to you. <laughs> but as Blanche, Jane says that there really isn't anything they can do. They say their goodbyes and Jane hangs up the phone, returning to her real voice to say, goodbye, doctor. But Jane returns to the living room, dragging Blanche's nearly unconscious body over to the stairs and pulling her up. Later, Jane is in her car, driving out of the garage when she notices someone coming up the walk. It's Elvira. She gets out to meet her, telling her that she told her not to come back until next week. Elvira tells her that she had a free day today, so she thought that she'd come by and see if there was anything to do. Jane says that there isn't, and she could have saved herself the trouble. She says she was going to send Elvira a note, but she might as well tell her now. They're not going to be needing her anymore. They're selling the house and moving to a smaller place by the beach. The doctor says that it'll be good for Blanche. That's foreshadowing. Oh, very much. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. This just killed me because Jane was all sugary sweet and, oh, enjoy your time. Like, here's some money. Mm -hmm. Take the day off. And I was just like, what are you doing here? Like, I mean, it's like you, she's got no, like, poker face. No. Nothing. You're being very suspicious. Mm -hmm. And now we're moving? Apparently. When did, I don't even, I'm trying to keep track. Did we see Elvira yesterday? I think so. This morning? Well, Yesterday, yeah. right? The days have been passing. Yeah. I Regardless, don't know. 
in the day you've decided that you're moving and now I don't have a job anymore. Well, but time out is when well. I was going to see you on Tuesday. But Elvira yeah. immediately knows that this is bullshit because she was supposed to move with Blanche. Yeah, but yeah. Jane doesn't know that Elvira knows. That. I know, but then this is when Elvira should really. She does see, though. Okay, then I guess they're right. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote the script this week. Yeah. Right? yeah continue. Continue. That was my thing too. It's like, hey, you're trying to do the thing that I was going to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. And that's very suspicious because we know that Blanche even said, you're going to move with me, yeah. right? Yeah. She was making sure. It's 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 uh, suspicious. Mm-hmm. But Elvira tries to speak, but Jane assures her that she'll be paid for today and she'll send her a check. Elvira isn't worried about the money. She just wants to visit with Blanche. Jane declines, saying that Blanche is asleep, but Elvira says that she doesn't mind waiting. Jane does, however, because she has places to be. She's like, I need to run the quickest errands of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I got a phantom yeah. around. <laughs> <laughs> but she asks Elvira for her keys. But Elvira, clearly lying, says that she left them at home. Jane says, and this is when it just gets rude. She goes, anyway, go. You're fired. I know. Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> if that wasn't a smoke signal before, yes, this one is. But yes. Elvira, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. They part company, staring back at each other across the driveway before Elvira exits and Jane gets back to her car. Down the street, we see Elvira sitting at a bus stop. As the bus pulls up, obstructing our view of her, Jane pulls up, stopping at a red light. She speeds off, and when the bus pulls away, it reveals Elvira still there at the bus stop, retrieving her house keys from her purse. She could have at least offered to give her a ride home. Yeah, she's yeah. like, get out of here, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> Go take the fucking bus. And we're like, you're, she's mean. Yeah. I, I like the visual reveal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, yeah. And she did the right thing by waiting and playing yeah, she like did. she was going home and all that. But man, she's like, oh, you're fired. Oh, yeah, she should have fucking took off on her then. It's like, no, you can't fire me twice. Now I can't hit you. Well, but just like, <laughs> what and run inside a yeah. rescue branch. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's different <laughs> in, that, in that case. But Jane gets impatient in traffic, honking at the car in front of her and getting the attention of a police officer played by James Shea. But back at the house, Elvira lets herself inside, creeping upstairs and calling out to Blanche. She knocks on Blanche's bedroom door, only to find that it's locked. On the table next to the door, Elvira finds Blanche's buzzer that Jane tore from the wall. Again, I would think that she'd killed her. Oh, I really yeah. would. Frantic now, Elvira knocks on the door, telling Blanche to wait and that she'll find the key. Jane arrives at the bank, talking with a teller played by Maxine Cooper. The teller greets Jane by name, asking how Blanche is these days. Jane lies and says that she's fine and hands her a check. The teller asks her for a deposit slip, but Jane says that Blanche wants it in cash saying that it must be for some special reason. She's just making up. It's not even a story. <laughs> no. That's just. The energy is all the way off. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, the Jane is being weird as fuck. <laughs> and was the note on the check or just in the checkbook? That should just be for her. <laughs> to keep. She's like, wait, what? Yeah. New act. What, what are you talking yeah. about? Congratulations. Yeah. I guess. But the teller says that Blanche normally gives them a call to let them know what she wants to do with her check. And Jane pretends to be bemused at the fact that Blanche didn't call and assumes it's because she's still asleep. 
Jane lies that Blanche gave her the check last night, and the teller goes to speak with her manager, played by Michael St. Angel. You're giving too many details. Yeah. yeah. That's the th- oh, she's probably asleep. The che- she gave me the check last <laughs> night. You're yeah. like you're telling me way too much. I don't yeah. need to know any of that. Her pillows are purple. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Does that help me get the check now? You're doing entirely too much. <laughs> Also, I don't know what else the the bank teller has done, but she has a lovely voice. Oh, yeah. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's all. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But when she returns, she tells Jane that she supposes it'll be all right and gives Jane the amount of the check in 50s and $20 bills. But back at the house, Elvira snags some tools to open Blanche's door, tearfully telling her that if Jane is given her sleeping tablets while she's out there doing God knows what, she's surely going to call the police on her. Call them now. Yeah. It's call bad them enough. now. Mm-hmm. But she puts a screwdriver to the hinges and whacks it with a hammer. By this time, though, Jane has arrived home. <laughs> Once again, this is where I have in my notes. If there's one thing about Jane, she's going to pull into that driveway just in time to catch someone. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. No. Tossing a note, making a phone call, saving someone's life. <laughs> she's she's here caught. for it. Yeah. yeah. But she is flanked by Mrs. Bates, who calls out to her as soon as she steps out of the car. Mrs. Bates asks Jane about Elvira, saying that she's been hoping to get some help around the house and was wondering if she could hire her for one or two days a week. Jane says as far as she's concerned, they can have Elvira. She and Blanche are going to be moving away soon and won't need her anymore. Jane says that she'll have to call her, though, because she isn't here. But Mrs. Bates (laughs) says that she just saw Elvira. Jane says, yeah, she was here earlier. But Mrs. Bates says, no. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. She just saw her going into the house a few minutes ago. Mind your own business. When Jane snapped at me with, yeah, and I, you're right. Yes, ma'am. Have a good day. Yeah. I'm going back in my house. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even like her. Didn't you ask your daughter how they would kill her? Or yeah, your daughter <laughs> made a joke and you're like, oh, you. Yeah. I didn't good one. <laughs> and then she was early. She was like, I think I just got into a fight. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's, it was, this isn't, this isn't what should be happening. No. no. But Jane asks, in the house? She rushes inside, and halfway up the stairs, Elvira meets her at the top, asking her accusatorily, So you finally decided to come back, huh? Jane is confused, having believed that Elvira didn't have her key, and reminding Elvira that she fired her, which to me is very, like, surprising, because she's almost angrier that she thinks Elvira lied to her than what she's actually seeing. She's like, you said you didn't have your key. <laughs> <laughs> how, like, how dare you? You're a liar. <laughs> That's what you heard. <laughs> yeah, apparently. But Elvira demands to know what's going on, asking why Jane has locked Blanche away in her room. As they head back to the bedroom door, Jane throws herself against it, blocking Elvira from entering and saying that this isn't Blanche's house. This is her house and she can do what she wants. Elvira doesn't care asking her what would have happened if there had been a fire and Blanche was locked in her room like this. She tells Jane that she needs to act like a grown woman, just the same as everyone else, and demands that she give her the key. Jane stomps her foot in a tantrum, saying that she will not, and Elvira can't make her. So again... You're 10! Yeah. Yeah. Elvira puts the hammer down, 
telling Jane that if she doesn't give her the key, she'll march downstairs right now and call the police. Don't put the hammer down. That was your first mistake. Mm -hmm. Jane just retorts, you'll be sorry. She hands Elvira the key, saying that she never meant to do Blanche any harm. And Elvira says that she better not have done Blanche any harm. Elvira lets herself inside as Jane eyes the hammer Elvira left on the side table. Elvira responds in horror when she finds Blanche in her bed, her mouth taped and her hand tied to the bar above her bed. That's wild. Yeah, Yeah, that's a bit much. (laughs) Really? Yeah. God damn, dude. Elvira asks what Jane did to her. Just as Jane's gloved hand appears almost as a shadow, wrapping her fingers around the hammer. Blanche screams muffled through the tape, trying to warn Elvira of Jane creeping behind her, but Elvira takes these noises as cries for help and tries to soothe Blanche. Jane inches closer, finally summoning the courage to strike Elvira with the hammer, killing her. Blanche's eyes respond in terror, and then she sinks back in disbelief and defeat. Now, I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest here. I didn't see that as ter- as terror. She looked like she was trying to warn you. <laughs> well, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Like, she's sure her eyes are like, yeah. turn around, turn around. She's what doing the thing doing? with her head like, yeah. Look, yeah. look behind you. And she's like, I'll help you. Yeah. Um, I, and then the only, the only thing with this, and this is, this is fucking terrible and all that, but it, it did kind of make me have a feeling like I did in Ma. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, that sucks that I even thought that because Jane keeps getting away with all this crazy shit. And she just keeps, you know what I mean? Nobody's doing anything. Clearly, there's warnings and nobody's nobody gives a shit. Uh, it almost came to a point where I was like, damn, she's just getting away with all this. And it's you're you're hurting the movie for me by doing that, because I kind of feel like no matter what Jane does, she's going to keep getting away with it. I feel like the only thing that really, really, really should have been more difficult for her was Dr. Shelby. Yeah. Like that. that well, that whole little thing. I'm like, come on. Really? Like, All right. Yeah. You're an outside source, dude. Yeah. And a doctor. And a doctor. <laughs> this is highly fuck? unusual, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just don't understand. Yeah. This was just upsetting because Elvira was a real one. She didn't yeah. deserve it. No. And none of this would be happening if Blanche had just listened to her sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say, honestly, like there, there comes a point in time. I understand that she's been doing horrible things to Blanche this entire time, Mm -hmm. but this is the point of no return. Yeah. Yeah. This is where you can never come back from this. No, because you've killed someone. Yeah. 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 And I did read in the script that the murder was way more gruesome. Oh, yeah? They describe like her going to the floor with Elvira and raising the hammer and bringing it down, they say, with a childish glee in her eyes. Oh, shit. And they said that she's screaming like a wild animal as she just continues hitting Elvira. But see, even if that is Miss What's-Her-Face next door, not going to hear that? She's literally right outside. She yeah. probably had her, her music playing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> to baby. <Jane. laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, you, noise. Yeah. <laughs> I But I think that the thing for me is that that kind of, if they were to do it like that, then it kind of becomes the film that they're trying not to make. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that they cut that out. Yeah. And that's crazy you bring up that about... Uh, the them changing it from the novel mm-hmm. because this movie with a little bit of tweaking they said in in 62 in the uk this was given an x rating 
That's surprising. God yeah. Damn. And they even said still then they had to ch- to take out a few scenes or move a few scenes, remove some. It's like, why? You know what I mean? And then in 88, it was given an 18 certification. Okay. But even then. Yeah. that It's just, it's so funny how times change because I watched this on Prime and when you press play on it, it just says 13 plus. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably fine. Yeah. Well, well, what's funny is it didn't get a 12A certification until 2004 in the UK. Damn. Yeah. And it's still that way to this day. But till 2004, you had to be 18 to watch what happened. To so it was R- R-rated basically. Yeah. To me, I feel like you could put this on TV with like a PG rating. Yeah. Yeah. Frankly. I mean, it is it is terrible what's happening and all this shit is fucked up. Uh Uh-huh. But I don't think it's that there's nothing in there that's that bad to give it that high of a rating. Not compared to what we see on regular TV. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. That's wild. There were episodes of Nip Tuck more brutal than this, and that (laughs) was way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which brings us back to Ryan Murphy. (laughs) Hey, feud. Very good. Very good. We're we're back. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Murphy is never far. (laughs) (laughs) But at the Flag's house, Edwin whistles joyfully as he gets himself ready for dinner with Jane, his mother helping him put his jacket on. She asks if he'll be late tonight, and Edwin just offers a hopeful, who knows? What's going on? (laughs) So this is, again, where it seemed as if Jane was interested in him earlier. Yeah. But he seemed like he wanted, like, like, okay, he seemed on the surface that he was very interested in the act and everything. Mm -hmm. But underneath, you could tell it seemed like he wanted nothing to do with her. Yeah. But then why is he acting so joyful in front of his mother and acting as though he's going to be spending the night with Jane. What happened in that car on the way to Edwin's house? I was not there. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot even speculate. It's just, it's such a drastic change from, because she was like, oh, we'll go out to eat. We'll have dinner. And he's like, well, I got to get home to my mom's waiting for me for dinner. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then now he's like, well, don't wait up or yeah. whatever. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> There's a missing reel. Yeah. <laughs> Is he singing the thong song? Or what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah, but... Yeah. <laughs> but back at the Hudson home, Jane drunkenly flips through scrapbooks on the floor tearfully talking to her own reflection in the mirror. She tells herself that she could have been better than all of them, but they didn't want that. They just didn't love her enough. She takes several sips of alcohol, ripping one of her old pictures, but is interrupted by Edwin ringing the doorbell. Jane pulls herself to her feet to look out the window and finds Edwin standing there. Her eyes filled with surprise and hope, she just mutters, Edwin? Edwin calls to her from the door, But inside the house, she quietly says that she can't let him in. Not now. After a few moments longer, Edwin gets frustrated, shouting, Oh, to hell with it! He storms off, leaving the property, as Jane rests against the door, her eyes wet with tears, repeating that she can't let Edwin in. Not now. Well, he sure showed his true colors, right, guys? Uh, dude, the, the, he, okay, he rang the doorbell maybe twice. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that's fast. But, that's, that's very fast. Too fast. That's a red flag. Yeah. If I ever saw one. Um, his but last again, name is Flag. <laughs> a red flag with two Gs. Um, Jane's going through it. Uh, she murdered someone today. Yeah. So, True. I mean, that, like, um, 
it's not all about you, Edwin. No. I don't know. Is that really? <laughs> I thought you had he more. He doesn't know that. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh, but yeah. you're, just, you're done. You're finished. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, and I also have in my notes that I think Jane would really benefit from some therapy as well. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a it's a hot take, but very bold, <laughs> very bold of you to. Yes, you looked at me. Like, <laughs> well, because that's all Blanche has been trying to do this entire film. Yeah, is to get her sister help. Did you read? Did you watch the film? <laughs> she had that note earlier. Yeah, <laughs> what's happening, man? I don't know. I'm just. I felt the need to say it now because. She's drinking. She's hanging out with that doll. She forgot about her dinner plans. Uh huh. Should we not be recording after 9 p.m.? <laughs> <laughs> Is this how we find out? <laughs> <laughs> but Jane stumbles up the stairs, collapsing to the ground and sobs, asking herself what she's going to do. But later that night, Jane wheels Elvira's corpse covered in a blanket over to the door in the kitchen. She sneaks out, creeping the wheelchair down the outside stairs and over to the garage, placing Elvira's body inside her car. But as soon as she does, Mrs. Bates arrives home next door, her headlights stabbing through the dark into the Hudson's property. It's like, here comes Mrs. Bates's nosy ass. Yeah. But I was like, nothing to see here. This is Blanche just likes to be wrapped up like this. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing a game. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Mind Your Own Fucking Business. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> she loses that game. Yeah, every day. Yeah. Every <laughs> single day. Immediately. <laughs> but after she parks her car and gets out, Mrs. Bates notices the interior light of the Hudson's car is on and walks over to check it out. In a couple of tight shots, Mrs. Bates discovers Jane. Her posture, frankly, frightening. <laughs> I thought that Mrs. Bates was dead immediately. Yeah. I thought she was going to like strike her with something. Yeah. But Mrs. Bates just immediately begins to explain herself, saying that she thought that Jane had left the car lights on, which happened to her once before. And the last thing that Jane needs is a dead battery. She says it's no joke. But since everything is all right, they say their good nights. Jane watching as Mrs. Bates heads inside her house and looks around uneasily before getting into the car and driving into the street as tense music plays. But at a nearby phone booth at a gas station, Edwin calls the Hudson household, which wakes Blanche, who still sits tied up in her bed. We cut to the Flag's house, Delia asking her son what he thinks he'll do now, joining him at the dining room table. He says he'll manage, and Delia asks him if he thinks that she's making all of this up, and Edwin says that he wouldn't know. Delia says that Hazel should know. She worked in the same studio when all this happened. Just after one of those studio parties right in front of her own house, Jane Hudson drove her car straight into her own sister and paralyzed her. Edwin doesn't believe it, but Delia insists that it's true. Mom is spilling all the fucking tea. Yeah. But then Edwin, think for two seconds about her having to take care of a family member, about the buzzing, about her disappearing upstairs, and you had to have heard muffled yelling. Yeah. There's no way you didn't hear muffled yelling. It was pretty loud. Uh, yeah. Maybe a muffled <laughs> slap. Uh-huh. And you don't believe it? You don't believe what your mom's saying? Yeah. Because he, he 
battles her every way. Yeah. This entire scene. I was I was like, dude, you're not even in a relationship with her. What are you That's like going that thing. hard? Yeah. What is, you met her two days maybe ago? Maybe yesterday. Maybe, yeah. And you seem like you didn't like her. Yeah. And and on the cool too, he did. He said that about the money. That was like the last thing when yeah. they were together was money. Yeah, and he was. was very very rude about it. Yeah, and now he's like, you don't talk about Jane Hudson. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna marry Jane. I Hudson. love her. <laughs> <laughs> That's my wife. <laughs> or whatever. You know? Know. <laughs> <laughs> That's his wife. My wife. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ooh. That's creeping no oh, sleep. Yeah. That's only for creeping no <laughs> Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> we only bring back our 2000s references. Anyway, moving on, moving on, moving on. But Edwin asks why Jane wasn't arrested then. But Delia says that the studio hushed it up on account of Blanche's career. Edwin angrily shoves cereal into his mouth, sarcastically saying that that sounds very likely. It does. I mean, yeah. that's exactly what, what happens. It sounds yeah. very likely. <laughs> Delia rubs it in his face that the woman he's chosen to run around with is not only broke, but she's also a murderer as well. A murderer? She's alive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. That's yeah. true. Delia? Yeah. yeah. She's put a little hot sauce on it. Yeah. I get it. I well, get it. But, she, I mean, she is a murderer. <laughs> she doesn't it know that. It hasn't been proven she, yet. Yeah. She doesn't know um, that. <laughs> but running around town with her, whatever she said. Again, this is dating language. She gave me yeah. a ride home. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they technically were running around town. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, but it didn't take long. We see how quick Jane oh, is. Oh, she's yeah. she's speedy. <laughs> <laughs> She'll get you there in a jiffy. Yeah, Jane doesn't waste time. But Edwin pushes himself away from the table, saying that if it's true, he'll ask Jane about it the next time he sees her. Delia reacts in shock, saying that he's not going to see that woman again. But Edwin jokes that of course he is. After all, he just learned that she has a rich sister. Edwin. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. The fuck? But Delia says that he hasn't heard the worst of it. Afterward, Jane ran off, leaving her sister to die, and they couldn't find her for three whole days. And when they did find her, she was in some hotel room with a man she had never seen before. Edwin fires back, asking why that would bother Delia. After all, wasn't that how he was conceived? Too much, Edwin. Yeah. Too fucking much. He storms out and we get a shot of Delia's soul escaping her body. I mean, as it should. Who the fuck do you think you are? Y'all are dysfunctional. Like, uh, my jaw hit the floor. And didn't you give us this whole backstory on your dad? What are you talking about? Was that also a lie? Oh, I never thought about that. I don't fucking know. Who are you, Edwin? Yeah. I don't know. You're not English. (laughs) I'm not a fan. (laughs) But back at the Hudson house, the phone rings and Jane, taking a sip of alcohol, saunters over to answer it, but she sinks down in her chair when she learns it's the police. An officer, played by Russ Conway, asks her about Elvira, saying that her cousin has listed her as a missing person, and Jane tells him that Elvira left about a week ago. He asks if Elvira told her any plans or anything like that, but Jane says that she doesn't know a thing. The officer says that they have a few more places to check out, and then they'll probably get back in touch with her. He says that if she does hear from Elvira, though, he'd appreciate her letting them know. Frazzled, Jane doesn't even answer when the officer tells her goodnight. Again, 
zero poker face. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'd be like, did you kill Elvira? Like, <laughs> yeah. The way that she's answering him and then just does like, doesn't she just like hang up? Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's the end of it. But full of fear, Jane calls out to Blanche. She rushes upstairs to her sister, telling her that the police are looking for Elvira. She says it wasn't her fault. Elvira wouldn't go away and she wouldn't leave her alone. She says that she doesn't know what to do and removes the tape from Blanche's mouth. So again, this is her, this is different from the performative. Childlike. Yeah. 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 This is actually, this feels like full. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Regressing into this 10 year old or whatever. Mm -hmm. But Jane says that if they find her, they'll have to run away. But she realizes that if she does run away, she'd never see Edwin anymore. So again. What? We are in love. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We had a really good conversation in that car that wasn't scripted and you didn't see it. Yeah. But we are in love now. Yeah. What happened in that car? They figured out what what they're doing with their life. Realize they're soulmates. It's beautiful. (laughs) But Jane says that Edwin won't like what she did. It wasn't her fault, but he won't like what she did. But she says that she doesn't care. They'll go to the beach. They'll live at the seashore all the time like they used to do when she was little and daddy was there. She says maybe they'll have friends and people will come and see them. She'd like that. Jane hops onto the bed, untying Blanche's arms, saying that she wanted everything to be nice and she doesn't understand how Elvira could make her do something like that. She says it was like that time in the hotel room when they told her that Blanche was hurt and that she had done it. She says there was a big policeman there who hit her and slapped her, and she tried to tell him that she couldn't do something like that, not to her own sister. Blanche tries to choke out the words, Jane, it wasn't the accident. But Jane says that it wasn't an accident. She did it. Blanche told her herself. Weakly, Blanche mutters, I must tell you which is very i mean (laughs) jane's like shut up a minute i'm processing (laughs) yeah don't use your strength i gotta get you (laughs) i gotta get to the beach (laughs) but jane rises up shrieking that she doesn't want to talk about it and covering her ears like a child she says every time that she thinks about something nice blanche reminds her of all the bad things and she only wants to talk about the nice things She holds the sides of her dress, twirling around and asking Blanche if she remembers when she would practice dancing on the beach with their father, how everyone would gather around and watch. They'd all crowd around to see baby Jane Hudson. Just then, the doorbell rings and Jane comes back to herself, asking her sister what she should do. Blanche says to let them in and that it could be Edwin. Jane smiles in agreement, saying, of course, it's Edwin and leaves the room. But she quickly returns to put Blanche's arms back on the bars, accusing her of wanting to get Edwin to tell on her. Blanche pleads with her, but Jane secures her arms and tapes her mouth up again before leaving and calling out to Edwin downstairs. She opens the door to find Edwin standing there, but he's drunk with two police officers on either side of him. One of the police officers, played by John Shepard, says that they just picked Edwin up on the side of her house, and he said that he was on his way to see Jane. Jane doesn't understand, but Edwin tells her that they're trying to say that he's drunk. The other officer settles for saying that he's a little happy. (laughs) He's drunk. Yeah, he's drunk. (laughs) He's quite drunk. Uh, Yes. But Edwin says that he isn't happy at all. He lets himself inside as the cops bid the two of them good night. Jane closes the gate and heads back inside the house. 
this is really weird because again it's still i fucking love you man let me inside it's like what what is going on what tears his shirt (laughs) he's got the boom box over his head what the fuck what is happening between these two crazy kids? I think <laughs> I think what I don't understand is the cops are like, well, good night. Yeah. That- <laughs> Mike, why is nobody why is nobody in a, a role of leadership like acting <laughs> like they should? It's- and that goes there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said he was going here. Yeah, right. <laughs> and Jane was confused. She's like, I don't understand. She's like, well, go inside. I don't yeah, know. right. You found a home. Uh, yeah. There- he, this man lives here, clearly. They're married. Uh- <laughs> so weird. Oh yeah. God. But upstairs, Blanche has gotten one arm free, but is exhausted. Back downstairs, Jane assures Edwin that she has his money and begs him not to be mean to her. She offers for them to have a drink together, and then they can be friends again. Leading him into the kitchen, she says that she has something else for him, and that is a surprise. I thought she was going to kill him right here. Yeah. I, when when yeah. Edwin was brought in, I'm like, he's not leaving this house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she pours them both a drink in the kitchen, and she says that she's going to go get his present for him. Blanche grows weaker upstairs, nearly passing out. But when Jane returns to the kitchen, Edwin stares at her dumbfounded when he sees her carrying a baby Jane doll on her hip. She tells Edwin that she used to give these to all her friends and the people that she worked with, setting it on his lap. <laughs> She's like, that'll be three twenty-five, dollars Well, that's, she learned it from her father. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone gets a doll. For three twenty-five, please. That the doll's not doing what you think it's doing. Yeah, like, no. that's, it's not giving what it's supposed to give. She rushes upstairs, and Edwin literally chats with the doll for a little while. But noticing a wheelchair in the corner of the room, he sets the doll into it drunkenly and wheels her around. Upstairs, Blanche, with her last bit of strength, puts her hand under the nightstand. But back downstairs, Edwin is covered in a sheet riding around in the wheelchair with the baby Jane doll in his lap. But Jane returns to the stairs to see Edwin riding around like this and screams bloody murder for him to stop, ripping the blanket off his head. Just as she does, Blanche knocks over the nightstand, which gets Edwin's attention. Jane tries to tell him that it was nothing, but he rushes past her to Blanche's room. Jane stands in front of the door, pleading with Edwin not to go in, saying that she'll take him away from her. Edwin just pushes her aside and heads inside to find Blanche lying in bed, half tied to the bar. She weakly begs him, please. And Edwin stares on bewildered, muttering, she's dying. For God's sake, she's dying. My mom was right. Yeah. yeah. Like, I got a phone call to make. Yeah. <laughs> a- apology. I'm so, yeah. so sorry. <laughs> But he pushes past Jane and she tears into her purse, telling him that he forgot his money. But Edwin doesn't care. He rips past the front door, bursting through the gates and running off into the night. Jane somberly mutters to herself, he hates me. Well, you, you blew it, Jane. Um, <laughs> You're a good friend, man. Yeah. You did. You blew it. Um, and I, I'm sincerely hoping that he's going to call someone instead of just fleeing into the night. Yeah. He's like, I'm safe. Yeah. <laughs> it's good that I got out of there. You, right? <laughs> but Edwin rushes out into the streets to try to stop a car to get some help, but no one stops for him. And he just waves his arms at no one in particular short of breath. Standing in the doorway, realization hits Jane. He's going to tell. Energized by fear, 
She rushes up the stairs to her sister, screaming that Edwin is going to tell on her. She undoes her sister's restraints, putting on her sweetest voice, begging Blanche for help as she drags her out of the bed. Blanche doesn't answer her as Jane's pleads turn into cries. When she's lifting her here, Mm -hmm. this is when it is alleged that Joan Crawford had put like rocks and weights into her pockets so that Betty Davis would hurt her back because she had back problems, yanking her and pulling her off of the bed. And also they say that when she was getting her off of the bed, Joan Crawford was like, (coughs) and had like this obnoxious coughing fit to ruin the take so that they would have to put her back on the bed and Betty Davis had to do it again. And that she was like sobbing by the end of it because she had hurt her back so badly. But again, this is speculation. Yeah. You know, (laughs) again, I don't believe that everything happened, but I think that these women, I think that they did, you know, get the best of each other at times during this but that's one of the stories that are told it's just wild to me that you know betty davis does the thing with the kicking and everything Mm -hmm. and then joan's like i'm gonna get some rocks (laughs) it's that yeah i'm gonna gonna load them up (laughs) like that's wild that's wild like how long have you had those rocks in your pocket man yeah (laughs) just just in her trailer or whatever (laughs) just in case (laughs) i got an ace (laughs) up my sleeve (laughs) (laughs) but still roaming the streets outside edwin reaches into his pocket for some coins to use a telephone but back at the hudson house the camera following the same path as before jane places blanche into her wheelchair and carefully takes her down the stairs into the car jane then drives with her unconscious sister riding passenger into the night you sure are leaving a lot in the middle of the night lately jane like a lot for this was yesterday (laughs) i don't know yeah it's it's the longest day ever (laughs) (laughs) but they arrive the next morning at the beach the camera panning overhead as the waves crash onto the shore blanche lies there motionless as jane walks through the sand sitting down next to her sister jane says that she likes this place they can just sit around very soon the sun will come up and it'll be nice She tells her sister to look at the sea. It has all the lights on it, and she used to like it. But later in the morning, the sun is out and the beach becomes populated. The upbeat theme from earlier plays from a beachgoer's radio next to a newspaper with a headline reading, Hudson Maid Found in Ventura Suburb. There's even a photo which is like... Yeah. Yeah. Gruesome. But the music is interrupted by a news bulletin from a reporter. He says that at 11.25 this morning... All local law enforcement agencies had assigned special details to the kidnap slaying that surrounds the famed Hudson sisters. A lunch counter assistant played by William Aldrich looks on. This is Robert Aldrich's son. Oh, I was like, okay. Aldrich? Yeah. As soon as you said it. How, how cool. I looked on his IMDb and I saw that he was an associate producer on some of his father's movies. And then he was a producer on some of the remakes of his father's movies. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. But as the announcement says that it's believed that Blanche Hudson has been forcibly abducted by her sister Jane, the assistant calls out to Ernie, the ice cream vendor played by Ernest Anderson, calling him to listen to the broadcast. They say outside of one witness who saw their car heading west on Wilshire and Santa Monica, no other reports have been received. Meanwhile, Jane fills a bucket with sand, tipping it over with a smile as Blanche summons all her strength in the background. 
two cops sit at the lunch counter and Ernie makes conversation with them about Elvira's body being found. Ernie comments that it's a rotten way to get your name in the paper. But he asks if they think that they'll find baby Jane or whatever her name is. <laughs> it's like, God damn. <laughs> damn, man. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. But the cops say that they will, but they suppose it'll be too late. Jane returns to her sister to look at her, but continues frolicking on the beach. Blanche comes to a little more, putting her hand over her face. But at the counter, an uncredited man approaches the police, telling them about a car parked halfway down the road, saying that he almost got stuck in the sand trying to get around it. Ernie asks if he means the old Lincoln convertible, and the man says that he does, and Ernie says that that car was parked there since they opened this morning. The cops share a knowing glance and immediately go to check it out. A Lincoln? Yeah. Wait a minute! (laughs) (laughs) They walk over to it, opening the trunk and confirming it's the car that they're looking for. Jane, meanwhile, bounces a ball with some girls on the beach, but looks back to her sister and rejoins her side. Please get away from my children. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She removes the blanket covering Blanche, telling her that she must be hot. Blanche very weakly calls out to her sister, asking her for help and telling her that she's afraid. She asks for a doctor, but Jane says that she can't and just wipes the sand from her legs. Blanche says that if she dies, Jane will be all alone. But Jane says that she can't because they'll be mean to her like they were before. Blanche says that there's no time and that she's dying and she must listen. She confesses to her sister that she made her waste her whole life thinking that she had paralyzed her. Jane playfully puts her hands over her ears, asking Blanche to stop, but she continues. You didn't do it, Jane. I did it myself. She asks if Jane understands. Jane wasn't the one driving that night. Jane's eyes find the truth, and her face rises from her hands as she turns to face her sister. Blanche repeats that Jane wasn't driving. She was too drunk, and Blanche wouldn't let her drive. Blanche made her go open the gates. She watched her get out of the car. But Jane had been so cruel to her at the party imitating her and making people laugh at her. She watched Jane get out of the car and wanted to run her down. Jane's face is a frown of disbelief as Blanche tells Jane that she saw the car coming and got out of the way, but Blanche hit the gates and snapped her spine. Jane realizes it, asking her sister, Then you mean, all this time, we could have been friends? Heart breaking yeah the fucking twist of this yes and in the book she's like because you know like we were talking about toward the beginning when she had that caveat in her contract or whatever they were like oh she's still trying to take care of her because jane you know whatever Mm -hmm. um no because in the book she was like i tried to run you down with the car she was like i put in my contract that you needed you know to to make your films as well or whatever Mm -hmm. and she was like and i wanted that to hurt you i wanted every check that you got every meal that you ate for you to know that that came from me like she it's like god damn like (laughs) so there was more to that you bet your ass i won't forget yeah exactly yeah yeah 
Because you, you know, you're like, oh, she took the high road or whatever. Yes, that's what I thought. I, I yeah. really want to see how um, Jane was acting at that party. <laughs> right, she's, yeah. like, she's like, really? Did she like it? <laughs> like, just like, sound just like it. <laughs> Look at that bitch. <laughs> what was she saying? I don't know, but it was enough to murder her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying it's right, it's right, but you even so you're so you're still saying that even before the accident you were being a fucking asshole to yeah. your sister no matter what. Yeah, she was. I get. I get. <laughs> she was. Well, but I think I think there there's there's a there's a difference I think between making fun of someone at a party and r- <laughs> running them over. Well, no, no, no. I, think. I, I know. Okay, but I'm saying like that was so. The same thing. <laughs> But I'm saying, so what you're leading me to believe is that you've still been a fucking dickhead to your sister this entire time. Even when she was giving e- you yeah, films. Even yeah. when you were still to your sister till your sister couldn't take it anymore and she fucking lost it and thought it would be easier to run you over. But again, I think that that's, that's something that is lost kind of in the film is that Blanche never took the high road everything that she did was to make jane feel bad yeah. and so even letting her because she even says you i made you ugly like the guilt yeah. i did this to you yeah. i turned you into a monster yeah jane was always a little piece of shit or whatever when she was a kid she's making fun of her at the party or whatever <laughs> which i still want to see what that entailed but <laughs> she that's what really did it that's what that's you know I think a big part of the regression and and whatever else is having to live with that guilt of of having done that to Blanche. Mm-hmm. And Blanche was, you know, living her life on kind of the revenge, you know, of making Jane feel like shit right. for how Jane and her father made her feel. It's just they're both so sick, both yeah. of them. Yeah, but I got to be honest. I really do think, you know, the line about the monster earlier about the car. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of foreshadowing of the fact that Blanche made Jane the monster. Yeah. yeah. Period. Yeah. I will say that if you look at it, a lot of Jane's reactions as a child were because she was a child experiencing fame. Yeah. Yeah. So the ego that comes with that and the entitlement that comes with that. But at the same time, she was like, can Blanche have ice cream too? She was. That's, that's, yeah. The, yeah. So, so I mean, I, you know, there it's, it's a lot to unpack, which is kind of what is like special as well about the film because you get these wild performances and, and everything else. But when you really like, stop and look at the whole story in regards to this giant bomb of truth that Blanche drops at the very end. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, who, you know, not that it negates, you know, feeding this woman her pet and rats and and beating her and fucking tying her up. She obviously doesn't deserve that. But it's like, wow, you guys are so fucked up that you only made your sickness made each other more sick. Like you, you've done this to each other and Jane, you know, I think she's lost her grip on reality. She's regressed to a time where she doesn't feel this way. And that's why she's like that. And what she's feeling is guilt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's for something she didn't do. No, her whole life. It's it's just so fucked up. I mean, it's such a great twist 
it, it's it's so awful like it's terrible it surprises the hell out of me every time because honestly you could see this movie just going through just being what jane does to blanche yeah yeah but instead this extra wrinkle it changes everything it does and it, it, it makes you take a step back and be like you know the people people that you know that are kind of just fucking assholes or whatever it's like what happened yeah because nine times out of ten something happened they didn't Mm -hmm. come out the womb like fuck you (laughs) like it's it's not (laughs) things happen to people and that's why they you know hurt people hurt people (laughs) the doctor's (laughs) like this is unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) me (laughs) (laughs) i just been what Or put the baby back. Yeah, like, that's, uh, uh, uh. that is unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can find a new doctor. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> but Blanche says that after Jane ran away, she managed to crawl out of the car up to the gates. When everyone found her, they assumed it was Jane's fault. Jane was drunk and confused when they found her in the hotel, and she didn't know any better. Blanche says Jane wasn't ugly then. She made her that way. She even did that. Jane looks over to the lunch counter, telling Blanche that there's a place over there that sells things. She asks if Blanche likes ice cream and says that she'll get her some. She rushes over to the counter and orders two large strawberry cones, only paying Ernest with a thanks yeah that killed me (laughs) jane has logged out yeah Uh, jane cannot process what she's hearing and she's gone no um i don't know if it's at this point at the counter or if it was earlier at the counter but somebody is drinking a pepsi (laughs) and joan crawford would always get pepsi into her films Mm -hmm. because she was married to alfred Steele, who was a a, an executive at pepsi and he had passed away okay but all of her films pepsi had to be in them and so it's in it yeah it's it's you know but another one Uh, of those (laughs) (laughs) i knew it another one of those stories (laughs) yeah Betty Davis allegedly had them install Coke vending machines on the set of Baby Jane to obviously piss off Joan Crawford. (laughs) 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 Again, I don't have the receipts. I was not there, but... That's just, that's so hilariously petty. It's, yeah. ju- it's just, uh, you Those know. Those are your rivals or yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you want a Coke? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> but they said that she would give Pepsi to everybody. Like she was, she, you know, that was her yeah. her thing. That was her husband. I think, I want to say he was her last husband. I think you're right. Because they each had a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like four husbands. Okay. I know Joan had four. But I mean, I think he was the last one and she... Seemed to really love him and was, you know, she was a Pepsi girl. And so, you know, that probably hurt. (laughs) If it's true. If it's true. But the cops call in for backup on their motorcycles, but they notice Jane walking by with her ice cream cones. They stop her, recognizing her, telling her that they have to find Blanche and ask if she's on the beach with her. You say that she walks by with the cones, but she kind of frolics away yeah. like a like a ghost. <laughs> well, there is something very ghostly yes. about. I think that's why this entire ending is so haunting and tragic. I'm, it well, is. I said that's why because she, <laughs> because she looks like a ghost. That's not what I mean. It aids in it, is what I'm trying to say. No, it's the whole reason. <laughs> But a crowd begins to gather, and Jane confirms that Blanche is here. 
The cops then try to take the cones from her, but Jane says that they're for her and her sister Blanche. She's going to be a movie star, you know. She's gone. Yeah. She's, mm-hmm. she's a child on the beach again. I do want to mention very quickly before you get to the big finale, because this was supposed to be another huge point of contention and another big on set fight, uh-huh. supposedly, allegedly, <laughs> was the fact that because she's lying in the sand, um, Joan Crawford was very concerned about her boobs looking flat. Okay. And so she was like kind of stuffing and and situating herself so that her boobs still looked upright like upright boobs mm-hmm. instead of you know because you lay on your back and well, they yeah, squish well, yeah. it's where well, you're laying down gravity yeah. <laughs> that's what yeah. happens it's science um yeah. she she wasn't trying to hear it and so it was a huge thing and she wanted she was very particular about how she wanted them to look and betty davis was not about it she was very fucking annoyed it was it was allegedly again yeah. uh-huh. a whole a whole thing that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as right. petty and trivial as that is, I wanted to get that out of the way before you finish. <laughs> as the crowd gathers closer, the cops ask Jane to tell them where Blanche is because they think she's in trouble. But Jane notices the crowd around her. A smile stretches across her face. Always the performer, baby Jane Hudson returns to the stage. As people call her crazy, and worried looks fill the faces of the crowd, Jane dances, spinning as the camera follows her and whimsical music plays. In an overhead shot, she twirls and smiles as the cops discover Blanche's body. But the credits roll, and the film ends. So, what did you guys think of whatever happened to baby Jane? So I I know I said earlier that I didn't enjoy it as much as I did the first time when I watched it. And I think it was just kind of noticing all the crazy shit that was going on or like the trauma and everything and, you know, going on behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, this movie's very fucking sad and bleak. And I'm just like, God damn. Um, But the performances, like you said, the performances are great. So I, I can't fault this movie for making me feel what I was supposed to feel Mm -hmm. uh it's not my bag uh i won't say that this is something honestly that i'll probably watch again because it is very fucking sad and i and we all know that i don't want to be sad i (laughs) want to be a killer snowman you know what i mean (laughs) you can Uh, see your house from here (laughs) yeah Um, but but learning about like all the background that went into the movie and all the shit that went around it and then how much like everybody talked about this and seeing shit that and i and i'm guessing this is uh spawned a subgenre of horror that's uh what what oh yeah we read something it was like bitty something yeah, bitty horror or something yeah psycho like, yeah psycho yeah. bitty yeah something like that yeah and that's crazy so uh, again i can't just because the movie isn't to my liking or my taste i can't fault it for all the good it has done and that uh, the good it is mm-hmm. uh what i recommended it personally no because of how bleak it is but i would say as a horror movie fan if you haven't seen it go watch it do watch it and take it for what it is if you like movies like this and it's fine more power to you i don't want to be sad i'm not gonna (laughs) lie i don't want to be hurting and later being like fuck i got problems like i don't know (laughs) Uh, uh, but but 
they put their fucking best foot forward in this. Mm-hmm. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. And I'll be honest, if they didn't hate each other, uh, I felt like they did. <laughs> like I didn't like if in real life they didn't have a problem. Yeah, I couldn't tell because to me, it felt like there was times when they did enjoy what was going on not like oh if this was real like they were like oh like this scene i I'm, i know i get to fuck you up on this or whatever you know what i mean Oops, been counting yeah, down. yeah yeah you put, accidentally tripped it's like what put Why? rocks in their pocket yeah. or whatever yeah <laughs> it's like miss crawford you're sweating no no no, 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 no i'm no, fine no. yeah that's okay yeah. <laughs> is that a lead vest Mm-mm. no 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 yeah but it is a it is a movie that I felt like, again, as a fan, if you've never seen it, watch it. If you're not into uh, slower, kind of longer movies, you know, because at the beginning of it, it is like a drama. Yeah. Then after a certain point, it's just fucking like yeah. shit goes left and it stays that way. Um, like I said, for me, it's not my bag, but I would like it is it is something that I feel like should be watched. Uh Again, if you like it, good. If you don't, I get it. But it's like it should be at least watched the once. Mm-hmm. At least give it a fair chance. You know, develop your own opinion and go off of that. Because it did make me, uh, like I said, it did make me feel. So I can't be like, no, this movie, whatever, because <laughs> it did its job. Mm-hmm. But it is very bleak. And that's, again, like I said, snowman. You know what I mean? <laughs> No, I it is it is very bleak. I tend to like kind of bleaker films a lot of the time. Um, maybe it's because I grew up watching shit like this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've I loved this when I was younger. I love it still, and just learning more about the background and you know everything that went into it, the film itself, and kind of like Hollywood as a whole for. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, like what led up to this moment and um, just how wild it is that. And I mean, it's it's I guess it's no different now because celebrities lives and shit often overshadow the work that they do, which is uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, But it's just, you know, the fact that that the press knew, you know, and there's misogyny to that and and pitting women against each other and that shit hasn't changed either you know i i'll I'll just be rambling after a certain point but it's all the whole story of the women behind it and the studio behind it and i mean everything it's just fascinating and then you compound that with a really really excellent film Mm -hmm. with a really amazing twist and we all know how i feel about twists yes I just I really don't have anything to complain about. There are a couple of moments where and we pointed them out as we went along where it's like, now hold the fuck yeah. on. <laughs> but even it serves the story. So I'm I'm not even here to complain about that if I'm being completely honest. You know? It's just it's one of those that just does it for me. And I don't watch it all the time. Like it'll go handful of years and then i'll watch baby jane again but every time i do it is a treat i just really deeply enjoy it and the runtime is really long but it doesn't feel that way no like you were saying john paul after it gets to a certain point it fucking for me it flies oh yeah um but yeah i i completely agree with you that it understandably is not going to be everybody's bag it's not gonna be everybody's cup of tea but i do feel like it is an absolute must watch Mm -hmm. i think 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I still love this movie. Yeah, I still love it a lot too. I'm very thankful to mom for showing it to us at a young age. Yeah. I will say that for me, not understanding everything that they were trying to say with the film as a kid, watching it now as an adult, mm-hmm. there is such a very interesting amount of commentary regarding show business, uh, commoditization of people, of women, of the industry as a whole and the way that they treat their stars. Mm-hmm. Oh, Children yeah. too. Yes. I feel like that's kind of overlooked. Yes, because it all started there. Yeah. yeah. And when you look at it and you see the monster that was created, it was show business that created that monster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of interesting because when you look at it as well, the way that Joan Crawford and Betty Davis could look into their own lives to forward these characters and give them more depth because it isn't, I know, again, I've said this a few times, a lot of people just want to write this off as like melodrama, but these performances are very, very incredible. Oh, yeah. They're very, very personal in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's just a very, very well-crafted and well, Robert Aldrich, he does not get enough credit because a lot of the conversation around this movie, even if you look in and try to find background, it's mostly about the alleged feud. Yes. But Robert Aldrich directed the fuck out of this movie. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. And he did an incredible job. The actors did an incredible job. Mady Norman doesn't get enough credit because she wasn't fighting with anybody. <laughs> 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 you know, and stuff like that, that there's a lot of stuff that gets overshadowed. And you know that the studio benefited from whatever. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, publicity that their feud may or may not have caused or may or yeah. may not have happened. And so it's just kind of difficult because as fascinating as it is you don't want it to take away from the film Mm -hmm. but god damn are you intrigued yeah Yeah. so it's like you're you're (laughs) you're part of the problem yeah Yeah, absolutely one thousand percent part of the problem (laughs) if i can just add one more thing that we forgot to bring up before you go into ratings okay um the Oscar nomination. Yes. Um, I would have been very upset if we forgot to talk about this before we wrapped up. But Betty Davis got the nomination, mm-hmm. not Joan Crawford. So Joan Crawford called up the other nominees and was like, look, if you don't want to come all the way out to L.A., I'll be there. I can just accept it for you. And so she was... <laughs> doing that and allegedly saying trying to campaign against yeah <laughs> betty davis <laughs> to win yeah and so at the oscars betty davis doesn't win yeah and and bancroft wins for miracle worker yes and she had said yes to joan accepting her oscar for her yeah so allegedly it was a moment of joan being like oh excuse me pushing past Betty Davis and going to accept and if an you, Oscar that wasn't hers. Yeah, yeah. But she did get to go up there and accept it. And if you see all the publicity photos, Joan Crawford is standing there with the actual winners Yeah, for the photos of the Oscars. Jeez. I and mean... Here's the thing, and this is what kind of lends a little credence to the feud, because Betty Davis said in an interview that when you win an Oscar for Best Actor, Best Actress, whatever it is, mm-hmm. Best Picture... That adds like a million dollars to the box office of whatever film it's attached to. Yeah. yeah. 
Joan Crawford and Betty Davis had percentages of the box office that was going to their paycheck. Yeah, yeah. so it would have gone in her pocket too. Yes, if Betty Davis won, she should have been campaigning for Betty Davis. Yeah. But she, it was in her own interest too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, you can't convince me that everything was fine uh-huh. and yeah. it was all made up. You know, that's, that's a lot. Why yeah. would you do that? Why would you do that? Because you're feuding with Betty and Davis. <laughs> and, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I guess that can lead us to ratings. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, the positive side for me these these performances shine. They are incredible. Betty Davis is such an incredible actor. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I love how much she gives to every character she plays. Joan Crawford as well, doing a more subdued, very nuanced portrayal of Blanche Hudson. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they work so well together. Their chemistry is ridiculous for two people who allegedly hated each other. They hated each other. (laughs) (laughs) But again, the direction. I didn't get to say enough about the set design because it's very, very good. The interiors of the house are a set. The exteriors are either a set built or the actual location. I was never taken out of it for a moment. No, no, not at all. It's very well done. Yeah. The music, the cinematography is really good. A lot of very iconic shots, a lot of very iconic moments that are very memorable. And to have so many iconic shots in a film that really just takes place in a house is really remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Um, the shots of Jane in the spotlight, the stage simulated around her as Edwin's playing. Yeah. Like, it's just brilliant. And Victor Bono did great, too. Yeah, he oh, did. Oh, yeah. I gotta, everybody keeps getting overshadowed by this feud. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. I think the story's great. The twist always, like, kind of stings a little bit at the end. Oh, of course. Betty Davis, I think her finding the truth in what her sister is saying always, like, it hurts me. Mm-hmm. And her realizing that all of this was for nothing every bit of it because they could have been friends yeah yeah and honestly you could say the same thing about betty davis and joan crawford (laughs) 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 but for me because i could go on and on talking about this movie out of 10 bona fide baby jane dolls i am going to give whatever happened to baby jane 10 bona fide baby jane dolls out of 10 i love this movie i watch it pretty frequently um thank you mom yes oh wow i hate to be the downer here (laughs) um i think it it happens often (laughs) no well i mean you know call me what you want sometimes it's you sometimes it's Uh, you yeah we we trade it's all right i'm a realist i'll be realistic. we have fun we have fun here um the the movie is great as far as like for me the performance and all like i said it did make me feel something just unfortunately, that's not what I want to feel while I'm watching a movie. It is, um, I've said it before with true crime, and it's not that I'm not interested in true crime. It's just that's very sad shit that happens. And this movie is stuff that does happen. And it, it is for me, it, I don't want to say it takes me out of the movie, but it kind of just makes me sad. So I'm like, damn, you know what I mean? I don't. But again, like I said, I go back to the performances and everybody in the movie because that was your job to make me feel this way. Mm -hmm. And you did what you were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody's great in the movie. Uh, I, I, like I said, for me, I wouldn't say that this is something I throw in my rotation because it is too bleak for me. Um, but it, I, but period, if you've never seen it, I would recommend watching it. At least give it a fair share. 
try it. You know what I mean? Or a chance. Mm-hmm. Try it. See see if you like it or not. And if you don't, cool. You found out that you don't. But if you do, there is a lot to dig into this movie yeah. and the background and everything surrounding it and the actors and actresses and everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, this is a staple in the horror, you know what I mean? Community, the films and everything. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, it just, again... The time was weird. The timing of her leaving and coming back as soon as anything <laughs> happened, she got away with everything until the end. It was it like I said, it came to a point where I did think of Ma and I we, we all know how I felt about that. You loved it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Maybe <Sure>. Yeah. <laughs> Go back and listen to that yeah. episode. <laughs> I won't say it was to that extent, but I did get a small, oh, baby Jane's just running fucking rampant. Nobody's doing anything. Avira, uh, uh, you knew that she was a problem at the beginning. Oh, from the start. You still left. And yeah, you came back with before the week was over, but you should have warned somebody as soon as you thought something was wrong. The neighbor, why are you still being nice to Jane when she's been nothing but a bitch to you the whole time? She was. Why? She was. <laughs> I don't, again, and I, I get Blanche, I get that's your sister and whatever, that's your caregiver and all that. You should have known when your sister was basically telling you, I run this shit, you don't run anything, you were in trouble. I don't know why you continue to trust your sibling. Just because your sibling doesn't mean shit. That doesn't mean anything. You should have known. You could have, you were, you could have been screaming out the window for help, but you decided not to. She didn't have lunch. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I forgot to point out. I'm so sorry for talking so much. No, Um, it's okay. Um, I I felt like, and I couldn't say anything at the time, but I do think that that's why at the beginning to Elvira, Blanche was trying to make all those excuses because she she knew. Like she already felt responsible for the drinking and, and, and what Jane was becoming because obviously right right you know there is a passage in the book where blanche is worried about the attention that she's getting from her films being shown on tv again Mm -hmm. because she worries that the interest brought back to her is going to be interest brought back into the old studio Mm -hmm. which is interest that might dig up what really happened during the accident Uh, right okay Okay. and so there's a lot of conflicting emotions in blanche yeah yeah so I i feel like yeah she is because it's her sister or whatever but more than that it's like well yeah she's doing all this but why like why is she doing it Uh, and and i i get that but i'm sorry when it comes to me if i have three sisters and if one of them is acting like that i love you but uh i'm gonna call the cops like you're going to jail yeah that's just bottom line your life doesn't mean more than mine and mine doesn't mean more than yours but if you're trying to harm me i need to get away from you by any means necessary Mm -hmm. it's it's just very uh like I said, it was just very, sometimes I'm like, come on, dude, you really just letting her do this to you again? You're just not going to do anything about it? Well, part of it also, you know, um, Jane is motivated by her guilt for what she thinks she did to Blanche. Right. Blanche is possibly motivated by her guilt from what she knows she did to Jane. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And it is frustrating at times. It's it, 
there are scenes that are frustrating to watch. Yeah. And uh, but again, and I, I think that's also what hurt it for me. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I'm just frustrated at the movie. And I'm like, that's <laughs> was that you. Yeah, out? That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was me getting upset. <laughs> yeah. But it but it is. And I'm like, ah, um, but again, I'd recommend people to watch it if you haven't form your own opinion. And you know what I mean? Uh-huh. See for what it is. Uh, but for me, on a scale of one to ten bona fide baby Jane dolls, I'm going to give whatever happened to baby Jane a 6.5. It's not a bad movie. It's a bad movie for me. I. It's not... It's not something I would tell people, oh, kid, don't watch that shit. But for me, it's just a little too sad. It's a little too like, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to feel that. Like, I don't wanna, <laughs> I, again, I want to see my house from here. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's all you're asking for. Yeah, that's it. The warm side of the door. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's your vibe. You know what I mean? Somewhere else, somewhere else. Somewhere. You know what I mean? I, I, that's what I want to feel. Nobody, we haven't talked about those songs at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's a crime, yeah. honestly. Um, yeah, like I said before, I love this movie. Um, <laughs> I get what you're saying, though. It is very bleak. There are scenes that are very frustrating. I think that it's just so watching the dynamic between the two of them and then especially knowing the the twist and kind of looking back. It's just it's so rich with subtext Mm -hmm. and then you add on all the behind the scenes shit i feel like i've i've spoken enough on that i'm not gonna (laughs) continue to ramble at this point but i really love this i've loved it since i was a kid and it's just one of those that it does not get old to me and to be honest the older i get the more i kind of appreciate it even more um so on a scale from one to ten bona fide baby jane dolls you got it I'm also giving whatever happened to baby Jane 10 out of 10 bona fide baby Jane dolls. Uh-huh. I love this movie. I will always love it. I get that it's not everybody's vibe. When I that's a very personal thing. What you like mm-hmm. is what you like. But um I would just check it out, you know? We spoiled the whole fucking thing. But check yeah. it out. <laughs> Watch it if you haven't watched it. <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate whatever happened to Baby Jane and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember... While guilt may be powerful, it cowers weakly in the face of forgiveness. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very good. (laughs) A special thank you to... Chris Ontiveros. Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Aplin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, 
Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sidney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rezac, Molly Gerhard, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Eden, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montavo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Nuding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itsy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rutter, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Maya Noches, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poopoo Head, Beth Bauer, Ben Coons, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Hannah R, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Hagetta, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, ML Tafoya, Abigail Spitzer, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonagall, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Montez Shamwow, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, and probably my jugs. Wow. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you all. We appreciate each and every one of you. You are incredible supporters, but I think after all this time, we've become friends. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Just, just thought I'd put that out there. Test the waters yeah, a little bit. I don't want to, you know, assume. <laughs> Until next time.